The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show episode 394. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey Noah, good afternoon to you, sir. Guess what, Noah? Big show today. Big show. Coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, uh, I need to eat a little crow. I have to take my hat, put some ketchup on it, I'm going to cut it up and eat it because I predicted that something was going to become a disaster for a very popular Linux distro, and it turns out I might have been wrong. In fact, I'm so willing to eat my shit sandwich that I'm going to tell you how I messed up just so that way I can clear space to tell you how awesome what they have done is. That's right. This week's episode of the Linux Action Show is going to talk about Linux Mint 17.3 Cinnamon Edition, and I think they nailed it. They nailed it in such a big way that I've replaced my installation right here on my Bonobo with Linux Mint 17.3. Spoiler alert, we're going to give, a, give you a review of their new desktop release and why I think it is a huge deal. Also, coming up in the news segment this week on the Linux Action Show, we're going to talk about Mozilla. Well, there's quite a bit to talk about here, but I mean, the first thing we're going to talk about is the fact that they want to dump Thunderbird, and the rumor is part of the reason they want to dump it is because they don't think it should be based on Mozilla technology. Uh, they have also have a few other things, like a crazy video that we're going to break down. Apple gets in the open source game with Swift, and you're not going to believe who they left out, and the fact that nobody's talking about it, I think, is a huge deal. And then last but not least... We've got a Linux, a Linux box that glows in the dark, but it's a Kickstarter. We'll tell you about that. Not only that, we've got the feedback with some great emails, but before all of that, Noah, you know what we've got? We've got the picks. We've got the picks. So let's get into that. And also, uh, yeah, in the morning to the chat room out there over at jblive.tv who have joined us on this Friday, we'll be giving a copy of Trying Away on the live stream in a little bit. So thanks, everybody out there over at jblive.tv who joined us on this Friday afternoon. Now, Noah... This runs Linux is pretty epic, and it, I think it was sent in by an audience member, wasn't it? I think so. Um, is uh, I'm trying to get better about crediting people <clears throat> when they uh, when they write in. It's it, it's it's kind of a mad rush. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes to to get things in there, well, and there's a lot of them that come in. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Nathan S sends in a race car that runs Linux, and he's attached a YouTube video. He writes in and says, "Hi guys." I found a cool project run by Castro Edge. They are two racing cars that run on a racetrack with the drivers wearing virtual reality he helmets. I don't want to get pulled down, but I'm going to just play a little bit of it, Noah, so that way they can okay. explain it for us, and then uh, we'll jump into his email. Guys, this is Austin. Is virtual reality the future of racing? My friends over at Castro Edge invited me to check out their latest project to pull off a race between two drivers wearing virtual reality helmets but driving real cars. So Austin, who makes kick-ass videos on YouTube, he has some of this, Noah. And so, okay, go ahead now, read the rest, and I'll find the Linux stuff in the video while you talk about it. Sure. Uh, he says, uh, cameras and sensors on the cars feed information through an Ubuntu laptop inside the cars and generate onto the VR headset. Thanks for producing great content. That gets me through a 300-mile-week bus commute to school. Now, can you believe that? A bus commute? Now, dude, I mean... I can't... I, I'll be very honest with you, Chris. I don't relate well to commuters. I know you so, don't. Uh, the, the, yeah, so the, the idea of spending that much time of my life yeah. inside of a confined area not getting much done is, that's, is, it, it, is no so, good. No uh, good. I, so it's funny because before I got big into becoming a podcaster, I did a lot of commuting. And I mean a lot because I had to drive. So my home was in Arlington and then Marysville, which for those of you who have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, that's about 30 
35 miles north of Seattle, and my clients were in Seattle. So getting into Seattle meant driving through Seattle traffic, mandatory two and a half hours, three hours on the road a day to, to make that work. And so I just, I, I just, I felt like there was such a, such an opportunity for content about Linux mm -hmm. for people who are just sitting there, like w just wishing to do something with that time. Just like I would, I was so desperate to do, I, I mean, I bought audiobooks, I listened to podcasts, but the problem with so many podcasts is they, they either have like a, like this weird California spin on how they see things or they just see things from the Apple, Google, Microsoft world, and that's how they frame every discussion. And, and I just, it drove me crazy. And so it like, I, I had to do something about it. And, and that was kind of where the Linux Action Show came from. But uh, now, now that I have moved um, away from the studio, it's funny. I'm reconnecting with all of those same things all over again. Uh, because I have, I, I spend about two hours a day now on the road. And which to you, which I don't, how far is your house from your office, Noah? About seven minutes. Yeah. Okay. So you and, have, uh, yeah. and, and, and the thought of driving a minute more than that would, would drive me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm driving two hours a day to commute from the studio to my, to where I live. And, uh, so I, I, my, my podcast consumption has jumped way, way, way up, just way up in the, in the, in the last uh, year. And so uh, I know exactly where uh, our, 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 our emailer is coming from. And so when I, when, when I now think about kind of uh, these kinds of, when I think about like these kind of future scenarios where, you know, you have uh, virtual reality that is, uh, um, uh, there is now rumors of like a Samsung device that's going to be 4K. You have uh, obviously Valve working with virtual reality. You have um, the Oculus system out there. And these guys are making a racing system, and if you look in the background here, Noah, I don't know. Uh, you can you have. I think I'm feed, I'm, send, I'm sending you the feed. Uh, what's that look like to you there? I'm gonna let me zoom and enhance there. It, oh, wait, I don't think any zooming or enhancing is necessary. <laughs> I can actually see just fine the unity in the background yeah. there. And actually, I'll go so far as to say, judging by the default background, I'm gonna guess 1404. Oh, ouch! Or like they were like yeah October. <laughs> like oh, take a look at the tech they've put together though, and you'll see these guys are legit. They've built a custom camera rig that uses a pair of high-speed cameras, a 3D camera for depth tracking, on top of a precision GPS tracker to feed info about where the car is back to the computer. And it's really powerful, man, because it's crazy. You think about it, we have all these different sensors. Like, to make that all come together as one without some insanely advanced heavy algorithm is, is a nightmare. It's just an incredible time right now to be working where open source is so widely available that you can literally turn a bunch of, like, thrown-together hardware into a tracking solution in less than two weeks. Not only are they Man, I love it. And so you guys can check out the whole video because it is a super well put together video and I don't want to take away from his views. So go check out uh, Austin Evans. We have a link in the show notes. But uh, virtual reality powered by Linux, the future of racing. Yeah, I say I, I think it is. No, what do you say? I say absolutely. I think anything. The, 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 the kind of cool thing is um, you see this stuff popping up in places that that the operating system should almost be agnostic, so to speak. So, for example, these guys who are racing, they, I, I don't know for sure, but I would guess that their primary focus and, and, and their goals are centered around racing and have little to nothing to do with Linux. Linux just happened to be what they chose, mm -hmm. you know, to run the software on. And, and, I, and that, that's, that's, to me, 
that's a huge vote of confidence and a huge sign of success is when you get to that point. I have a lot of thoughts on that, and I'm going to save them for the new segment coming up in a little bit because uh, there was a huge statement this week that basically said, obviously, Linux comes before Microsoft Windows. And it wasn't even, and, and that not only was that the obvious statement, but not a single person on the internet has questioned it. And I just think it's remarkable. And we're <laughs> going to. Now that, now that, that's a bold statement. Not a single person on the, per, I, on the I, internet. I have has not seen this. I have not seen it. I have, I honestly have not. And we're going to talk about it in the news segment. Uh, so yeah, uh, very good. And thank you for sending in that Runs Linux. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact if you would like to send in your Runs Linux to the show. Because honestly, uh, look, we're going on almost 10 years of doing this show. I'm not saying we're out of ideas because actually we're not, but <laughs> the thing is we could just maybe pad it a little bit and stretch things out. So we would love your submissions <laughs> if you know what I mean. And thank you to Nathan S for sending in that awesome one. And Noah, I have an idea. I have a, I have something I'm just okay. want to propose to you last right. week. And it, you know, not everybody listens to the outtake, so they might not have any idea what I'm about to talk about. But last week, you kind of put your foot in your mouth and like an asshole said you'd be willing to come out here while Rekai flew away and edit all of the JB shows under Linux for the week. Like I think jerk. I did say that. And yeah. then I think I may or may not have followed up with Rekai to, uh, to solidify that such points. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 am, I am not kidding you. I remain extremely skeptical. I do not know if this can be done. First of all, from your availability standpoint, your wife is Prego now with uh, kid number three, and that is a massive commitment for you. You and, run your own business. By the way, business. hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't, let's not fly over that. And she's due in March, and this is at the end of February, right? <laughs> okay, all right. Just making sure that we're just making sure we're all on the same page here. You know what? You bring out the whole family, and I, here's my, here, actually, I'm not joking. If you want to bring out the whole family, I will Airbnb you an awesome place to stay. Yeah, well, that'd be awesome. I my guess is she's gonna want to stay close yeah, okay. to the midwife. Right, that's okay. my guess, but I, oh. I will bring it up. All right. But I, here's the yeah, thing: I'm I'm totally in for this uh, video editing. So thing. Uh, now, okay, all right. So now here's what I'm thinking, Noah. While you're out here, and you're you know you have will have a little bit of time to do some of these things. Here we uh, go. Yeah, yeah. I want <laughs> I want you to play. No, this one we can do. I want you okay, to play right. with with the VR headset. Okay. I want you to spend some time in the virtual reality. I got the Oculus SDK, and I've got the Samsung virtual reality headset. Have, have we told Have we told the Samsung story on the air? I don't think we have. No. Do you think we should? Yeah, I think we should. Okay, so we're, right. we're we're sitting there too. Chris brings out his, his headset, and he's like, "Oh, you haven't checked these out yet." Now you this to, is the one where the S6 Edge it snaps into the headset. So if you have a Samsung right. S6, you can get this like crappy VR headset for like nothing off. Well, it's not nothing, but it's compared to the Oculus, not very it's much. Yeah. 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 So he hands it to me and, and he's like, here, now click on this, click on that. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, give me that, give me that. So he rips it off my head. And of course, it, 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 because it's a headset, it doesn't just like slide on and off. It's like you have to get it adjusted right. And so he puts it on his head and gets everything set up. All I have to do is like click on the little thing that's right in front of my face. And so he hands it back to me and he's like, okay, just click. Don't touch anything. Just click. And I'm like, yeah, now I'm on the moon or something and I'm looking around at something you're like, oh, no, no, how, how did you mess that up? I ha All you had to do was, I never did get to see the video you wanted me to see because no. I kept screwing it up. I know, yeah. that's why I want to spend some time and see, the thing is, is Chase has my Oculus SDK. I want to get it back from Chase and I want to have you experience the Oculus entire thing. And I think okay. you'll be down with that. I mean, we'll see. I think we need to try it on, um, connected to that Firefox VR thing too. I agree. That's exactly what I was thinking. All right. So, all right. No, before we go any further, before we go any further into this week's show, which is a huge show, and I have to get the catch up ready for this week's episode, I want to talk about DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to get your own Linux rig that's super fast up in the cloud. 
You can get started in less than 55 seconds, and pricing plans start in only $5 a month. For 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigabytes of SSD, yeah, they're all SSDs. One CPU and a terabyte of transfer. Noah, you know, I gotta be honest with you. DigitalOcean has made me say cloud like it doesn't feel like a derogatory thing to say. You know what I mean? Like, I will now say you can spin up a Linux server up in the cloud and I don't feel like a D-bag for saying the word cloud. Uh Maybe because you do the ad reads so often, you've gotten there. I I still call it uh, a virtual private server or, v yeah. or VPS, and so I yeah. haven't I haven't yeah. cloudified. You know what you know, my definitions of everything. You know what it is. It's the fact that it kind of feels cloudy because they have the interface, which is crazy great. And if you go if you mm -hmm. go DigitalOcean, use our promo code. Use our promo code Last Digital. But now go over to DigitalOcean and and I think it's like the community section. So I'm gonna pull it up right now. Go to DigitalOcean.com and go to the community section and then, uh, it's not, yeah, it's projects or something. Yeah, view all projects. I mean, just look at all this stuff. Look at all this. Like, they got all this, this stuff that, like, I don't know, something, like, they have, they have these apps, they have the stuff based around the APIs. It kind of, it kind of it, it starts to feel like I don't even care what the back-end technology is. Now, I feel good because I know it's Linux and I know they're using open source right. and they're working with the upstream projects and I think that's super yep. badass. But like, so for example, like if you look at their uh, one-click application installations and they have like a bunch of distros you can choose from, including even FreeBSD for some reason, but uh, uh, Drupal, la the whole entire LAMP stack, Git, or Ghost, which is a markdown-based blogging platform, which is way more straightforward than WordPress. But OwnCloud is on here. WordPress, MediaWiki, Redmine, which <laughs> Redmine, dude, like you as a consultant could mm -hmm. use Redmine, like MongoDB, or hell, I, I know you could use MediaWiki. These are one-click installations on top of a Linux rig. Like it's, and, and they're doing it with like Doku and Docker containers. And, and it starts, to, it kind of does start to feel cloudy. Can I, can I be honest with you though for a second? I think... 80% of the fun in some of that stuff is setting it up and fighting through the challenges. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have something that I say, and anyone who's ever troubleshot around me has probably heard me say this, and I'll say, it, it wouldn't be any fun if it worked the first time. And so if if it's I true. don't get to set it up and I don't get to fight with it, then it it almost kind of takes away from the appeal. So I'm, I'm more yeah. personally, for me, I'm personally more of a fan of their of their how-to guides and then following the, yeah. the guide step-by-step. Step. And I feel it. like I, every time I do that, I feel like I pick... One skill up I didn't have before. Yeah. And I kind of like that. And I'll just say, the, the guides that they have up there, I mean, they're not DigitalOcean specific. You can go check them out regardless of being a customer or not. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're still really good guides. And that's the great thing about it. And, and then when you're ready to go to play, like Last Digital will save you for a couple of months at least to try it out. It's a $10 credit. I've got a Fedora 23 rig up there that was the Fedora. They deployed the Fedora Cloud instance, which is no big deal because that's just like a super slim version of Fedora 23. Then I used DNF to install Cockpit, which took about, oh, I don't know, 10 seconds. And then I used Cockpit to deploy an MB Docker image. And now I'm using MB on Fedora 23 on a DigitalOcean droplet for free for two months. Last digital. Also, we use it as Mumble for Linux Unplugged and Tech Talk Today. I use it to run my IRC uh, Quasal client or Quasal server. It's really nice. Sync thing. If you haven't looked at SyncThing for a while, it's gotten better. And now with SyncThing GTK, you can have a nice GUI front end that has like a little system tray notification of when things are syncing. I mean, it's legit now. And you can use DigitalOcean for that. Just use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. You get a $10 credit. Try it out for a couple of months. See if it works for you. 
And then if you decide it does work for you, you're all set and ready to go. And if you decide it doesn't, no big deal. It's just a Linux machine that you have total root access with an HTML5 web console. DigitalOcean.com. Just use the promo code LASTDIGITAL and it keeps the show going. All right. So I want to talk about something that is making my bonobo hot and run like a mo right now. The GPU fans are spinning on my bonobo because I've been running this now for about 45 minutes. It's an application that Heather found for SciByte that we actually rolled into production for our SciByte show that's not actually being produced anymore. And it's truly an amazing app. And I don't know if, no, you've ever had a, actually had a chance to look at Stellarium. Last night was the first time I'd ever played with it. But uh, I, I tell you what, uh, right off the bat, maybe you should talk about the app and then, and then, I'll, then I'll, uh, I'll add my input. Well, so Stellarium is an open source, um, well, Stellarium. <laughs> so it is a, uh, an, a free program you can install on your Linux desktop that will give you a, a, a app that you can look at the constellations in the sky based on your current location with overlays. And it can do how things are in the sky in real time. So right here in the Pacific Northwest, as we record the show, it's daytime. But I can turn that off if I actually want to see what it'd look like at nighttime. And now you can you can begin to see the constellations and you begin to see the different, like there actually is like one of the arms of the Milky Way. And I can turn on different aspects or turn off different aspects to make viewing more pleasurable. Like I can turn off the landscape and just look there. It's beautiful. It's 3D. It allows you to legitimately travel through the solar system. You can pull up in real time different planets or anything you know the name of, type it into the program and warp there in real time and look at it. It's gorgeous, Noah. So what, I, I think when I first saw it and I was kind of playing around with it, you, you ever have like an epiphany where you're like, you, you have like an imaginary scene and you're like, this could be a thing. If I had, uh, you know, margaritas with a nice lawn chair sitting on the edge of the ocean and then you, you envision and you, you dream in HD and you can feel like how things are going to be. I was thinking, imagine this. Night of the Fourth of July, after the bar, after the uh, after the fireworks, and you come home, and you're sitting out in the backyard, and uh, maybe you've got a little bit of a fire going, maybe not so much, so you can see more of the stars. But the grill is definitely going, and the beer is ice cold, and you're sitting out with a laptop with with good Wi-Fi, and playing with this program, looking up at the stars. That that was my that was my epiphany. And you can use this to say, okay, here's my current location. What's immediately above us, and what can we look forward to? And, you know, it comes, so you, you start, your kids, you will find your kids can very quickly get interested in this stuff. For me, like, Dylan just slides into it, and I'm not ready for it. He starts out, oh, what, 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 let me get out Stellarium. And, and it uses your current location. And he's asked me, like, so where's Jupiter, Dad? And I, I didn't have an answer. Like, how do I point to Jupiter? If, and, and you can actually use this to find where Jupiter is or... Or where's the moon right now, right? And you can zoom in on the moon and see what the moon looks like from Earth right now. It's, it is having your own eye on the sky. And, 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 and something else kind of neat, besides all of the performance improvements, all of the bug fixes, is they've introduced uh, recently something called night mode, which means if you're actually out in the night using this to look at space, you can turn on night mode and it all the entire interface switches to like a like a like a dark light red mode so that way uh, it doesn't screw with your eyes while you're looking at the sky and you know Noah not to overdo it but when i play with an app like this i go oh yeah i could totally see a touch device doing this right now 
I could, and I know there are apps on tablets, but now you've gone too far. Now, now you've gone too far, dude, dude, dude. Your face. Uh, I think you, I think you've gone too far. I, the whole touchscreen thing and the computer thing. I just, I don't know. I, the more I use touchscreens, the less I appreciate them. <laughs> I know, I know, I know that's I know that sounds so old and crotchety of me to say, but mm. that's so true. Like my wife's laptop, my laptop. I know, I know, I know. But my wife's new laptop, it has a touchscreen. And 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 earlier today, I, I was in the middle of like seven different things. And she's like, can you come troubleshoot this problem? So I, I walk in and all I wanted to do was tilt the screen just a little bit up because there was a little bit of glare. And and by doing that, it like cascaded all the windows and half my crap closed and I lost my place. And it just, yeah. it, everything just got screwed up. And I'm like, this is why we don't need touchscreens on laptops. No, I have to agree. So, uh, you know, after the success we had with the Lenovo Yoga 3 with Angela, okay. uh, I went and, and uh, Hadia had a, uh, my girlfriend Hadia had a, uh, an HP laptop that died on her. And she needed a laptop. And the only computer store where we live is Best Buy. It's the only, well, or Costco. But uh -huh. uh, so I went to Best Buy and I bought this exact same Yoga 3 we got for Ange. And I, I got the okay. same exact machine. I said, okay. This is going to, I know this will work because Noah got this working before. And right. I, I tried a few different things and they didn't work as well. Like, uh, Antigros didn't, didn't detect the wireless at first. And I brought it on the road trip and you didn't fix it, even though I brought it with me all the way from Washington. And oh drove yeah. It. Yeah. With all my spare time, I, I know that we were sitting around, Noah, you know, uh, Noah, uh, chewing, uh, chewing, I'm just saying, I'm just seeds, saying but... I brought a laptop I, and that cost yeah. me gas money. I drove a laptop from Washington <laughs> to Grand Forks and you didn't <laughs> fix it. So yeah, then, it was very light. It's very, it's a very light laptop. Okay, so That's then part I, of why you bought it. I installed Ubuntu Mate on it. Fine, whatever. Listen to Linux Unplugged if you want the rest of the story. But one of the, long story short, Yoga Three has a touchscreen, right? So does my XPS thirteen. My XPS thirteen, I like the fact that it has the touchscreen. I use it about three times a week, and every time I do it, it's super sweet. I'm like, oh yeah, it has a touchscreen, sweet. And then I forget, and then but it, but the three times a week I use it, I'm super glad it has it. Now. Here's the flip side. So uh, Hadia is driving my truck and, you know, because because like I was mentioning earlier, the studio is like an hour away from where I'm living. Sometimes I take her vehicle, which gets 42 miles to the gallon. Right. So, yeah, I'm going to drive that for an hour because it's an in incredible better gas mileage than my truck. So she'll sometimes she'll take my truck. And so she's she's got her laptop in her lap. She's getting out of the truck. And the reason why I tell you is because the truck's up higher than her car, right? So she gets out right. of the truck and the laptop falls down right on the corner of the laptop, cracks the corner of the screen. No. Yeah. And because it's a touch screen, the operating system registers this as touch. And somehow the sequence of events launched a terminal. I, I, I don't know how it launched a terminal. It launched a terminal. <laughs> And it and it started putting input into the terminal, okay? And so RM TAC RF. Yeah. Well, and, how did that happen? And like and, and 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 like it somehow killed the window manager and and Mate crashed and all that was left was like some like reduced version of the desktop and this terminal was the active window. And the only thing she could do was type in the terminal and like mouse input like wasn't being registered or anything. And so she brings it home and she's like, I think I destroyed my laptop. That might be the most esoteric use case of why we shouldn't have touchscreens I've ever heard. I know. But it's a great story. So, like, I look at it, and I'm like, and, and, and I'm not kidding you, she's kind of like, she's watering up, she's tearing up, because, like, she knows I just bought this for her, and I don't have mm -hmm. any money at all to my name. So, like, the, right. like, so she's like, I'm really sorry, I feel really bad, and so I'm looking at it, I'm like, I'm, and I'm like, what the hell has happened here? 
and I hold down control and I press D and the terminal window closes and Matei desktop relaunches and everything is absolutely fine and the machine's completely back to normal functionality except for now it's cracked up in the on the, up in the left left corner uh and <laughs> God, that's the worst I, corner to be cracked, too. But I handed it back to her and I said, okay, it's fine now. And she's like, you fixed it? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I just closed the terminal window and it had stolen all focus, crashed your desktop, and wasn't taking mouse input. But if you had just known to press control D, you could have fixed everything. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that was a Pro really... Tip. Yeah, that was a... Yeah, <laughs> it's like it was a weird thing. And so I kind of, I kind of walked away from that going... You know, I think I would prefer to be able to just completely disable touchscreen. Like I would yeah, just like yeah, a setting yeah, oh yeah. in 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 Matei Desktop or in Cinnamon Desktop or in GNOME Settings or in KDE Config to just disable touch input altogether if the user yeah. is never expecting to use it. Yeah, I would I would do that in a heartbeat. I you know what you should have done is you should have set it up. You should have cracked your knuckles and got a balls energy drink out and like started sipping out and typing away furiously into the terminal. And then when you got done, been like and and then control D. <laughs> there, that should do it. And then hand it back and be like, there. All better. <laughs> All right, Noah. So speaking of, speaking of your uh, inner hippie, you want to tell everybody how they can get some free knowledge. Tell me about this. Heck yeah, dude. So like, I I can't do the hippie voice. Uh, so a weekly spotlight this week is $276 worth of Raspberry Pi and Arduino books. Uh, the Humble Bundle slash books, we have a link in the show notes. They are, they are uh, it, you know how that works. You pay um, what you think is fair and they have thresholds. And if you meet uh, certain thresholds, then you get more and more books. And if you, I think it's the, I think the highest threshold is $15. Is that right? Hmm. Pay $15 or more for all things making and all sensors. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I, I think I think that's the highest yep. one. So if you put fifteen bucks and you get two hundred and seventy six dollars worth of books, um, Avatar C sent this in. This is really cool, yeah, especially it is. if you, especially you know, we're talking about commuting. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people that commute they commute by car. Uh, some people, but if you're commuting by a way where um, you can have your eyes off of the road, books are a really great way to to go. I was actually I was reading an article a couple days ago. It was saying the average millionaire reads two nonfiction books a month. So what? this would be a good, yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Like they're just calling so, up millionaires and be like, hey, bro, how many books do you read? Hey, 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 girl, you reading books? Hey, how about Fifty Shades? You read that, girl? So <laughs> that's not in fiction, <laughs> hopefully. But uh, they, but they, uh, they, um, they uh, interviewing millionaires is actually a thing, I guess. And there's people that write books about it. But, um, but yeah, if you could, for two hundred seventy six dollars worth of books, you could get you know a lot of your quota in there. Um, and and there are a ton of books that that you're getting, but. You know, the thing about the the Raspberry Pi and the Arduino is I can't count how many times I have had an idea in my head of something I wanted to try or something I wanted to do. And the the only reason it never happened was because I could not mentally justify the cost of taking a spare machine and allocating it towards that purpose. Yeah, I have done so many stupid, crazy things that have absolutely no functional purpose in life other than to amuse noah like and i think i sent you a video of this i had a a a, a raspberry pi that controlled a hot dog roaster yes and so i could i could ssh in and i could start my hot dogs and it would roast hot dogs and then spit them off this little hot dog thing and there, there's no functional purpose to that there's no reason why anyone would want that because if you leave the hot dogs out more than you know a couple hours they're going to go bad and rotten anyway and if you put them in the fridge then the hot dog roaster in the fridge there's, there's no practical way that would actually work but I just did it because it was fun. And the reason that I could afford to allocate a machine to that was because a Raspberry Pi is less than a pizza nowadays. Well, can I can I uh, tell you, and I, I feel like a bit of a D 
for talking about this now on a few of, a few of our shows, but uh, this will be the third show. I, well, no, actually, I don't think it made it into the final version of TechSnap, uh, but it did make it into today's episode of uh, Tech Talk Today. I want to play this for you. It's called The Onion Omega. I'm just going to play a minute of it. I apologize to people who have watched the other shows. I love you. Thank you for watching. But this there shit's are funny. two worlds. The real world and the digital. And then there's the cat world. Oh, the lovely cat world. Yeah! The problem with the two worlds is that in order to connect objects in the real world with the digital world, you need to be a rocket scientist or some sort of physicist from the Manhattan Project or one of those brains in a jar. But not anymore. Meet Onion. For the past year, We've been hard at work building something that's small, affordable, and really easy to use so that we can merge the two worlds together. We wanted to be like Tony Stark and be able to build whatever comes to our mind without learning how to build these things. And that is exactly why we created this, the Onion Omega. Thanks, Oliver. It's a tiny computer with built-in Wi-Fi and it runs the Linux operating system. This little bad boy lets you create connected devices in environments that you're already familiar with using tools such as SSH, Git, and NPM. And it also allows you to write software in Python, Node.js, PHP, or whatever language you feel comfortable with. So uh, I encourage you to check out episode 225 of Tech Talk today because I played an eight-minute interview with Alan Jude from TechSnap, who is freaking out about this thing. He loves the Onion Omega, and he's building all kinds of things with it. Temperature sensors for his data center, fan controllers. It is a tiny machine that's like double the size of an SD card. And I got it right here, Noah, because I backed it on Kickstarter, uh, and it is crazy small. And it comes with a mini dock which uh, has USB and uh, for just like, you know, keyboard okay. and mouse or like serial sure. port and micro USB for power. Or it comes with an expansion dock, which is much bigger, which has the full GPIO ports like the Raspberry Pi does. And this thing's uh, like 25 bucks. Now, the only way to get GPIO is with that, with that expansion thing? Yeah, but one thing that's very nice is that all the expansion things, and, and Alan talks about this in Tech Talk Today 225, is they stack on top of each other. So like Legos, he has a expansion dock with an Ethernet port with this, uh, with, with temperature, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he has like a three-thing-tall uh, uh, Onion Omega all stacked with this stuff. But I'm, I'm looking at the picture, and it looks like there's um, the, the, the dock snaps into it. So could I solder to the little pins where the dock is supposed to snap to get... Uh to get GPIO, if I, if I wanted to embed it into something? I don't know. Uh, so, uh, I don't know about that. Maybe, actually. I think you actually could, to be honest with you. I think you could. It uses OpenWRT, by the way. Uh, and I think you actually could do that. Because when I, so here, when I snap it together, uh, uh -huh. I also still have a whole other set of pins, even in the big dock, that are available. So that's, oh, actually, no, no, I take that back. I'm a dummy. I take that back. You don't. Oh, 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 one other thing. I don't want to spoil the interview with Alan in Tech Talk 225, but there is an area here on the machine. This whole thing right here, Noah, this is a 400 megahertz Linux machine with, uh, you know, OpenWRT and a web server on it ready to install apps. And on the very huh. edge right here, Noah, uh -huh. this is like an Atheros uh, Wi-Fi that oh, okay. not only does it 
connect to your existing Wi-Fi network, so I could connect it to the Jupyter Production Wi-Fi network, but at the same time that it's connected to your Wi-Fi network, this tiny little thing, it can also act as an access point so you can connect to it from your smartphones or your Linux desktop and configure it. So while it can, or, or no, it can act as a router and route between devices that connect to it and to the Wi-Fi network is connected. It can be a base station and a Wi-Fi client at the same time. This tiny thing that is smaller than the palm of my hand that runs Linux. The next time we go somewhere, like to system, probably not a, a sponsor paid trip, but like the next time we go to a place uh, like on our own volition, we should take one of those and get in the plane and create like an ad hoc network and play like Counter-Strike in the plane. Oh my God, we totally should. It's just, we could, it, we could do that. It, it really blows me away. It is, it is amazing. And so, uh, anyways, um, I talked more with Alan about it. He is really doing some cool stuff with it for Scale Engine and whatnot. And that's in Tech Talk today, episode 225. Before we jump into the news, I want to mention the fact that the last jackets are back on sale for a limited time. Nine days left. Teespring.com slash last US or last EU. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave it up to you to decide which one's closer to you. The United States of the, of the Americas or the United European Unions of Americas? Well, now, wait, if, wait, what? if we have, well, just if, if some of us are not very good at geography and we're a little confused, is there a place we can go to write in for some help no. on figuring out which way no. is closer? No, if you no. can't figure that out, I don't want your business. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Actually, what I would do is just order from teespring.com slash last EU because they have okay. better, they have a whole lot more colors. You can get like crazy okay. purple and crazy green. You won't get it in time for Christmas. However, if you get your business taken care of like in the next few days, you'll get the stuff in time for Christmas. So, uh, you know what your pregnant wife would want, Noah? She likes the red one. Yeah. I already asked. Get her red. Yeah. But see, this year we did a more sophisticated bed in the U.S., a more mature ah, red. Yeah. One really? That, one that the ladies or the gentlemen won't mind being seen in. So, teespring.com slash lasteu. We probably won't run these again. Um, so, check them out and go get yourself one for a little bit longer. Nine days left. 38 sold on the U.S. Hmm. Thought the United States of America would more... Would represent. That's that's. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. They have, they have I don't know, Noah. The EU. What's that? They have pink. They have pink in the EU. That's so cool. I know. I know. All right, Noah. Well, guess what? That's all the picks. So, <laughs> let's do the news. the news and this episode's brought to you by ting.com everybody knows that because ting freaking rocks and that's why we have them here on the show because we have a little bit smarter audience than the average bear and you guys can spot a good deal when you see one it's six dollars a month for your line and you only pay for what you use and what really kicked ting into high gear in 2015 and earlier was the fact that they got a gsm network on board too so now you've got cdma and gsm so a lot of phones to bring over to the ting network and a lot of good deals. You just pay for what you use, your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. All of the regular features. You want a hotspot? You want a tether? Check the box in your OS. This is something that is probably not mentioned enough in our spots. Ting doesn't get in the way of the updates. They don't get in the way of the features that Google or whatever phone you want, Apple or BlackBerry or whatever, they don't get in the way of the features that they intended. If you want to use hotspot and tethering, that just works. And maybe that's why... When Consumer Reports surveyed over 90,000 cellular customers, Ting came out damn near the top, beating out all the incumbents. Consumer freaking reports. And, and, and I want to underscore something here. Consumer, Consumer Reports' annual cell phone service report isn't like 
the ones where they do the washer and dryer or the the uh, no one I know this one where they review different generators or things like that. Like it's not mm-hmm. this is a different caliber of report where they go out and they interviewed 90,000 individual cellular customers, reviewed all of the data, Ting comes out on top, and they have consecutively for years now moved their ways up the ranks. They have fanatical customer support at 1855-TING-FTW. They have the best dashboard. They have a companion app for Android and iOS. They really make it easy to manage all of this stuff, and they have incredible deals on the phones. You get them unlocked. You own them. They have early termination relief programs. And when you go to last.ting.com, you get a $25 discount off your first device or $25 in service credit. And because they have a CDMA and GSM network, it's really kind of a little hard to tell from time to time which devices you could bring to Ting because a lot of them work. And Ting recognizes that. And Kyra's here with the solution. Take it, Kyra. If you've ever wanted to check a phone to see if it's compatible with Ting, this is the app you'll need. I'm Kyra, and this is the Ting Download. Go, girl! The Ting Compatibility Checker app for Android, well, checks your phone's compatibility with Ting. It doesn't do anything else. It's beautifully simple, if we do say so ourselves. It's also a very small download. It's intended to be used once and uninstalled. At less than 1.5 megabytes, you won't have to worry about deleting other apps to make space for this one. Here's how it works. Install the app and open it up. Tap to check your phone. The app pulls your phone's unique serial number. It's IMEI and runs it against the database of phones that'll work. It only takes a second. Once the process finishes, you'll find out right away. If your phone is compatible, you'll also get info on which network services it will support. As you'd expect, the app is free and you can grab it from the Google Play Store. The Ting Compatibility Checker is Android only. iPhone currently doesn't allow apps to pull specific phone info. Huh. But you can always use the web-based compatibility checker at ting.com slash check right. on your desktop or mobile browser. It's almost as simple. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. Last.ting.com. Go there, support the show, get yourself a discount. It's nuts. I love it. Over uh, $2,200 saved in the last two years. Last.ting.com. Huh. I wonder why the iPhone doesn't allow access to that customer private data, Noah. Interesting to reflect on that. (laughs) Anyways, uh, I got to talk about a news story this week with you that shakes me to the core. Because I've, you know, my journey to Linux, Noah, it starts, I'm not S-ing you in the corporate environment. It starts with the email client. Now at home, totally different set of requirements. Obviously that's, that goes without saying but in the corporate environment, evolution and Exchange Data Server backend, and realistically, crossover office and emulating Outlook 2003 and Outlook 2000 and Outlook XP made it possible for me to run Linux as my desktop in a Windows-only environment. And this goes back, this goes back for me, I've tried everything. I tried, uh, well, this is the one that stands out the most. Uh, I think it was called uh, Xandros. Does that sound, does that ring a bell? Xandros, yep. mm-hmm. uh, Xandros, or something like that, sold a version of Debian Linux with a GUI based on the KDE desktop that, during the installation, would allow you to connect to a domain, a Windows domain, uh, and and you could authenticate to the KDE desktop using your Active Directory credentials, and it would automatically configure Evolution for you, and it came pre-bundled with Crossover Office so you could install Outlook. And mm-hmm. I convinced the CTO of the bank that I worked for to allow me to use Xandros Desktop 
with this compatibility layer on a, on a machine. And it was the first time I was able to run Linux in a production environment for a while. And then I, I, I tried other desktops. I, I was able to move things around once I figured out, well, crossover can be installed on anything. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and evolution can be installed on any GNOME desktop. Right. And it was, it was, for me, a critical piece to adopting Linux. And I even after years of being invested in things like evolution and being invested in Outlook and all of this, I continued to find that Thunderbird was the male client of choice for me that yep. really worked, regardless yep. of what the back end was, but especially when I wanted to do things like GPG integration uh, and, and, and really wanted something that could handle a crazy, crazy amount of emails. Now, I haven't checked recently, but I, I probably get about 800 emails a day, which is really nice because it's way, way down than what it used to be. Uh, primarily because like Twitter is a thing and IRC and the subreddit. So email has come way down for me and I get about 800 into the, into my Chris at jupiterbroadcasting.com email inbox. I get about 10 a day to Linux action show, 10 a day to Linux unplug. You know what I mean? Just spread it out to all the shows, right? We may just get a uh -huh. whole crap ton of email that comes into the network and consistently Gary and K mail and all these other mail clients have not been able to handle it as well as Thunderbird has. And so consistently with Thunderbird's uh, integration of calendaring plugins and GPG plugins and incredible email indexing support and support for very large inboxes, I, I find myself always trying to move away from Thunderbird and yet back at Thunderbird. So in about the last, long story short, in about the last year, I just settled on I'm just going to go with Thunderbird. I'm just going to mm -hmm. relegate myself to using Thunderbird. And, and before we get into our first story this week, I'm curious, what is your experience with Thunderbird? Do you think it's crap? Do you use it? What's, what's your Thunderbird experience? Do, I'm, so are you, I, I'm, I'm just curious. Do you know the answer to the question before no, you I, ask I, it? No, I, 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 really I don't. don't. No, I don't. So I, Thunderbird for me is probably the most second used app maybe the third most application used on my desktop next to the terminal and firefox and uh i do everything in email i strongly prefer email to instant messenger to irc message i mean you name it if you go to jupiterbroadcasting.com you click on uh the the little hosts page and you'll right in there in in my little mini bio one of the first things i said is if you want to contact me use email because i prefer it I have the memory fish. I have the memory of a goldfish. That's and true. So, so do it, I. It is. It is. And so and so, if I don't have documentation of something, I forget about it. And so, what email allows me to do is, I have folders. I have pending folders and completed folders, and save this and the trash and whatever. And as something comes in, I prioritize and I organize and and I do all of that inside of Thunderbird. And like you, I have gone into a lot of companies and moved them. I'm not, I, I guess, you know, maybe eight years ago, I was still using crossover to emulate office these days. I've been pulling people yeah. off of Microsoft yeah. office and now so with the cloud, so to speak, that has become even more easy. And a lot of companies now, of course, are using, you know, Gmail for business and stuff like that. And that ties in obviously exceptionally well um, with Thunderbird because you're not authenticating against a, you know, a domain control. You don't have exchange. an exchange server, stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, and so, uh, and so Thunderbird is the one and only email client I have ever used. I've played with others. 
and I have, and I'm, I've never even, I, I've never even, I can't even say I've seriously used them. Whoa, 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 yep. whoa! You're yep. telling me you've never used Evolution, you've never I used K-Mail, you've never used Gary, you've never used Mutt, you've never used any of these? Evolution is the closest I ever had to actually making a switch because it lasted about three days, and then I went back to Thunderbird. And and every other wow. email client, I have barely got it installed Whoa. before I found something I liked about Thunderbird better, and I just went back to Thunderbird. You must have a lot yeah. invested then when I mentioned our top story. Mozilla wants to split off Thunderbird email from the rest of the project. Yep. The Mozilla Foundation looks like it's about to take another step in its bid to sharpen its focus on development around Firefox. This is coming from TechCrunch. Mozilla now wants to make the Thunderbird project a separate entity. Plans were revealed in a company-wide memo planned today by, or I'm sorry, penned today by uh, Mitchell Baker, or Michelle Baker. I'm not quite sure how you say her name. Uh, uh, we confirmed with Mozilla that's indeed from her. She says, I believe Thunderbird should, uh, should with, uh, oh, geez, hold on, let me scroll down. I believe Thunderbird should and would thrive best by separating itself from reliance on Mozilla development systems, and in some cases, Mozilla technology. The current setting isn't stable and we should start actively looking into how we can transition into orderly into an ordinary orderly way into a future where thunderbird and firefox are uncoupled and so i don't like that at all <laughs> now do you kind of okay but let's say let's say let's take what's baker saying here and let's say what one thing that when she said one thing that struck with that kind of struck a note with me was Mm -hmm. Maybe Thunderbird shouldn't be tied to Mozilla technology anymore. And I thought, you mm -hmm. know, one thing about Thunderbird is I sort of reluctantly, like when I was telling you that story, my history mm -hmm. of moving to Thunderbird, I, the reason why I laid all that out is I wanted to kind of build the case that, you know, man, I reluctantly moved to Thunderbird. I tried mm -hmm. Evolution. I tried to make Outlook work. I tried to make K-Mail work. And when those things failed me, I went to Thunderbird. And to be honest with you, Noah, my personal account still managed through mm -hmm. Gmail web interface because Thunderbird's not good enough. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think maybe one of the reasons why Thunderbird isn't good enough is because at the end of the day, it does feel like a web browser trying to be an, an email client. And so maybe if you moved it away from Mozilla technology, it could actually kick some more ass. What do you think? M well, my problem with my problem debating with this uh, with you to a certain degree is, as I already admitted, I don't have a lot of outside experience. I do. I, well, I guess that's not true because I do routinely use Outlook on, on on other people's systems, and I see the plethora of problems that they have, um, and I'm not subjected to those. But for me, here's what an email client needs to do: I need to get push notifications when email comes in. That's there. I need to be able to spoof, or not necessarily spoof, but I need to be able to change what the outgoing email uh, address is. And that sounds esoteric and weird, but I have a very very a good reason, at least I think it is, for doing that, and that's because I want all of my outgoing email to have my work email address appended to it, regardless of if it's actually my personal email that I'm sending it from. That way, if our work email server goes down for a little bit, I can still get work done, and I'm not relinquishing my email out to a bunch or of people. Or like when they, you're flying. Yeah, unless they, unless they, you know, they, I know they can dig through the message source, blah, blah, blah. But it, basically, it, it keeps the honest people honest. Um, and Thunderbird allows me to do that. I can manage multiple accounts. So I have, I have, you know, one entry for uh, our feedback account. I have one for my Jupiter Broadcasting. I have one for my personal, one for my AltaSpeed. All of that stuff comes along the side, and that just works for me. I don't know how to do. If there is a way to do that in a, in a Gmail web interface or another web interface, I don't know how to do that. And additionally, yeah. even if I could, 
I hate things that run in the browser because every time I close I the browser, yep. all of those instances yep. go away, yep. and then it's not checking my email anymore yeah. and the, stuff like the that. The other thing that, that you can't get away with Thunderbird is if you want to have really good GPG support, the Enigma uh, plugins are just kick mm -hmm. ass. They're just some of the best email encryption tools available. And then also like the Lightning plugins and stuff like that to make calendaring yep. work yep. in Thunderbird. Yep. That's legit, dude. And you can mm -hmm. put all of that in Thunderbird. And yeah, it feels kind of like a web browser trying to be a mail client. But at the end of the day, I think it still is the best mail client out there. It's better than OS X Mail. It's better than K-Mail. And it's mm -hmm. better than Evolution. And Gary, well, Gary's cool, but guess what? That company doesn't exist anymore. The company behind it. So Thunderbird was like my last hope. And, and I mean for all platforms, too. So if they do this, if they do this split, I hope that whoever takes over it really takes care of it. I, there are certain, there's, well, so I want to back up and, and touch on one more thing. The other big thing that email clients have to do and do well is offline support. And so when I'm in an airplane and I don't have access to the internet, <clears throat> I can go through my email. Oh, what was that piece of information? Oh, what was that person's name? Who was that person I needed to call back? What was that thing I needed to do? And I can go find those things because they're all synced into my local box. I can reply to them. And then the next time I'm online, it just sends all those those messages out. To me, that's a key piece of functionality, and I can't replace that with something in a browser. But moving on to um, the the concerns I have if they split out, there are a couple of companies uh, that I really trust with free and open source software, and Mozilla is probably in the top five. And so to see something that I so heavily rely on, and I, I honestly, I don't know what I'm going to do. If uh, if Thunderbird tanks or if they went in a direction that I didn't uh, I, that didn't particularly I agree, suit me, I, agree, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do. Know. I don't have a good answer. <laughs> and so if that happens, I am really up a creek without a paddle. And I can't think of a company unless Red Hat buys them out. I can't think of another company that I would really trust uh, with with the interest uh, of the mail client. I would yeah. almost rather them not continue to develop it. Make whatever minimal changes you need so that it continues I to run on my I system. I disagree. But just leave it alone because it wish, works fine. I would love to be able to say I agree with you, but we are now in a world where Google is going to change Gmail to use an API, not IMAP. And, and that's just the beginning. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, and so we need somebody out there who can... Update the client to not only support the service providers' changes, but also mm -hmm. keep up with the uh, innovation on the Linux desktop. Uh, the, the Linux desktop is a moving target, and we need we need somebody who is willing to keep the, the those kinds of things current and the backend things current. You can keep everything else the same, but my God, I, I gotta keep able to keep it. You know, when GTK, uh, you know, uh, three dot twenty eight ships, I would love yeah. for uh, Thunderbird. To uh, fit in with that, what I would like to see is a new open source project spring up that has some backing um, that that could do this. Because yeah, I, I don't want it to go away either. I love it. And while we're talking about the Mozilla Foundation, uh, good guy Mozilla is deciding to maybe drop this tab uh, advertising initiative. They say uh, they tried it and maybe it didn't work so well. This is coming from an article that we have linked in the show notes. So we experimented with all content, including advertising, and we proved that advertising can be done well while respecting our users. And I, you know what? I think they actually kind of did a fairly classy job at the end of the day. Uh, and they say, we learned a lot along the way. Our learnings show us that users want content that is relevant. Oh, uh, <laughs> exciting. <laughs> okay. And engaging. Oh, right. They say, we want to deliver that type of content experience to our users. Uh, we know that it will take focus and effort to do that right. We have therefore made the decision to stop advertising in Firefox through the tiles experiment in order to focus on content discovery. 
we want to thank our partners who have worked with us on tiles. Naturally, we will fulfill our current commitments while we wind down the experiment over the next few months. So the advertising tiles in Firefox, Noah, coming to an end. Yeah. That's, yeah, that uh-huh. was a bit of a controversy that kind of fizzled out. Yeah, a, a totally a totally worthless controversy from a bunch of people who don't have anything better to do but complain on the internet, Hey-o! as far as I'm concerned. All right, well, in that vein, can I play something for you? Now, listen, before I play this, I will acknowledge it was a bit of a slow news week, but Rekai found this. Editor Rekai, actually, re- editor sells him short. What, how would you describe yeah, yeah. Beard no, extraordinaire, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Editor, editor sells him short. That's the understatement of the year. Uh, yeah. Let's see here. Let's see here. Station manager, buildings groundskeeper, make keeper of the pizza well, that would say and frozen goods. Keeper of the pizza, I would agree. Now, I don't know. I don't, you know, he does take out the garbage, but checking the mail well, and mowing the lawn, well, I do okay, that. Well, okay. F- yeah, that's tr- Okay, fine. Mm-hmm, so you guys, mm-hmm. you split the, yeah, but he, yeah. he makes sure the stairs yeah. are well tested. That and, is true. Uh, that is true. Yeah. And he it does a good the, job the of like managing the lights or, t- or, you know, the garbage can. And the, and the, and the temperature, he makes sure that the heat is on sometimes a little too much and sometimes not off all the time. But he does hey, kick a, he can, he, he, he bakes a mean DiGiorno, dude. And uh, yeah, yeah. And the, and the other thing is, too, is uh, anytime you're anytime you're in uh, the Jupiter Broadcasting area, you can stop by and he will he will mosey on down the staircase and Actually, take his seat in the living room. Is, it, is his chair still there? You here's the thing. Chair, did you? Here is this is true. Uh, if Rekai makes an appearance while you are visiting the JB studio. Yeah, you're lucky. That's a special thing. Like yeah. I think it took Wes like four or five Linux unplugged before he got oh, to Oh really? Yeah. And if you I think it probably if you weren't here for so many days during your first visit, it would have taken you a while to like your yeah. first technically your very first JB visit, you didn't get to meet Rekai. Technically. No, I did because it was Linux Fest Northwest. I know, but he wasn't there, was he? The first he one? Oh, yeah, okay. He All came right. Down. Yeah, he came All down right. Okay. Well then but, you are an exception, sir, because Rekai is a discerning fellow. And so when he sent this video into the show for review. I, I, I had to take a look. It comes from the Mozilla Foundation, and, and Rekai's supposition is that they are sticking it to Google. So I want to play a little bit of this for you and get your reaction. They talk about data being hijacked by big corporations, turning people into products without their knowledge or consent. They talk about an experiment they did just very recently. One apartment, 12 unsuspecting travelers, they say it was a night to remember. They set up an apartment for them. People go in, they're like Airbnb in this thing for them. This is what happened when they went online. They got their, wi- their devices connected to the Wi-Fi. Connecting their Android devices. Lights on the outside of the building start turning on. The walls to the apartment start being removed. They're in a glass building. Access! 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 Eula has just gone online. We have access to all of their online data. Your mobile online data, your desktop online data. I'm talking all of So this is a real thing. They set up a real apartment. They uh, Wi-Fi snooped on these people's data. They got their real credentials. They got their real information online and then embarrassed them. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He also dressed up as Conan the Barbarian. 
this data is so hot, it's burning my hands. There's a lot of money in that man there. Three life insurance policies. He's a passionate dancer. He speaks four languages. Kai Kings, that's his name. She's allergic to peanuts. Where he buys his beard wax. One of us is winning and it isn't you. We they talk about beard wax from Amazon. Access. They talk about what his girlfriend calls his penis. They all kinds of things. And Mozilla then ends it with take back control, firefox.com. Holy crap, Noah. What do you think about that coming out of the Mozilla Foundation? What are your thoughts? One of, one of my biggest pet peeves in life in general is the fact that geeks, I think we alluded to this back when we were talking about uh, Linus Torvalds and the internet trying to scold him. Um, you know, the the one of my biggest pet peeves is when a bunch of geeks get together and do something because they enjoy doing something because they just have a general like for it. And then somebody comes along and says, oh, we could make a buck off of that. And then they kick all of the enthusiasts out and then they're essentially aliens you know in a world that they created and i kind of feel that's kind of what mozilla is coming out is, is going after and i kind of agree with them it, it actually thought i and we'll have the full video in the show notes if you guys want to watch it i kind of felt like when they when they had the apartment building and they removed all the walls and it was a glass building and you got to see what the guys purchased online what he wore for halloween the beard wax that he bought uh, the name that his girlfriend calls his dick in an instant message. You got all this stuff. It it actually was a really good, I thought, practical demonstration of what's happening. Is there is somebody that jumps in front of that glass wall and says, "I'll sell you access to this information. I'll sell you. I'll sell it to you." And Mozilla's trying to say, "Listen, the reason why we're here is we want an open, safe web for everyone. Our motivation is that our browser is not a business driver. Our browser is." We want an open and free web for everyone. And so, you know what? Maybe they should spin off Thunderbird and let somebody else work on it and focus on fighting Chrome because Chrome is becoming quite the son of a bitch and getting quite the bit of coverage. And Chromebooks are eating up school markets. And think I just covered a story on Tech Talk today, like 51% of Chromebooks sold now go to schools. I think, I think the proliferation of Chromebooks is actually a good thing um, because it's taking a market share away from Windows and Apple. So... In that regard, I'm thankful for it. And um, I've asked myself a couple different times, if this is as close as we get to mainstream adoption to Linux, you know, could I live with that? And I'm not happy about it, mm. but I think it's definitely, I, I would definitely rather, if my job, if my day job becomes troubleshooting people's Chromebooks over troubleshooting people's Windows boxes, I can, that's a compromise I can live with. I might not celebrate about it, but I can live with it. Um, as far right. as Googling not to be Chrome Not to be obnoxious, but I would, I, if you have the time, I would invite you to listen to Tech Talk 225 and then okay. see if you still agree with that. And I would invite, if you have the time, I would invite you to join sure. us on the Mumble Room next Friday because I'm wondering if after you listen to that episode, if you would okay. change your opinion. And I don't All want right. to repeat it because I, I, I made a pretty good case in that episode. But it's a date. I, I, I think it's worth checking out because I don't know if I completely agree with you anymore, Noah. And I used to, but uh, the EFF has made some really good points this week that have changed my point of view. Anyways, go on. Uh, no, I, I, it's a date. Sounds like a good idea. The the thing is, where I think where you and I are going are going to fundamentally disagree is you like Chrome and I don't like Chrome, and you can't you don't seem to think or you don't Firefox doesn't work for your workflow, and Firefox does mm. work for my workflow, mm. and so that sets us from the very get go. That sets us out on two very different yeah. paths. Yeah, with I, two if, very if, different. If I could refine the argument, I would say. Uh, Chrome is a better browser, and I think eventually 
you'll come around to see that and you'll switch too, but I'm probably just a couple years ahead of you. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. Okay. That's, yeah. That's not, that's, that's not how I would have phrased it, but <laughs> that's, that's the way you see it. All right. So uh, last but not least in the news this week, I don't know what to make of this, but uh, Noah's good friends over at Apple have open sourced their Swift programming language. Yeah. They did it, everybody. Uh, they promised they would do it, and now they did it. Swift is open source. I think it's got some sort of Apache license. That's not what I want to talk about. Uh, we'll see where they where this goes and how useful this actually is, um, because there are some standard libraries that Apple has to uh, get uh, completely developed. There is one aspect to this, though, that I think is telling, and it's the underreported aspect of this. If you want to get involved in Apple's new open source goodness over on GitHub, you can go ahead and download it for your platform of choice, as long as your platform of choice is Linux or OS X. Windows is not even a consideration. In fact, when Apple was asked if they'd be making a Windows port, they said, well, the open source community is welcome to make a Windows port, but it's not worth our time. So right now, over on the GitHub page, you can... This is just really weird for me. So, first of all, Apple, there's there's a thing called github.com slash Apple, which is weird. <laughs> and then on top of that, which is, which is weird, is when you go into Swift, they have instructions for how to install required packages using sudo apt-git on the Apple GitHub page. And you can apt-git the packages you need, and then you can install it on Ubuntu 14.04. And, by the way, they also have instructions available for Ubuntu 15.10. So... They make instructions available for Ubuntu 14.04, 15.10, and OS 10, and Windows, well, they can't even be bothered. And nobody, nobody, nobody's talking about that. Nobody on the internet is talking about that. This is a huge deal, because what this is saying is, you want to get involved in Swift, and by the way, we're open sourcing a lot of the libraries, and it's looking pretty good. And, and not only are they open sourcing like the libraries and Swift, but they also have created a code of conduct and how things should look. Like, it is actually legitimate. They posted the entire Swift open source project history on GitHub. Everything from the first commit, all open, exposed, right there, because they want people to legitimately try this as a server-side language. And they want to participate as a low-metal server-side language for back-end applications and front-end applications and they said, to be relevant in that market space, we need to open source this. We need to give the code to the community. We need to expose our entire history. And we don't have to bother with Windows. What do you think about that, Noah? I think that Kits and Kitty hit the nail on the head when he says Windows is simply becoming irrelevant. I am not a developer, and I've never claimed to be a developer, but I'm friends with a lot of developers, and none of them use Windows. None. I don't know. A, well, I take that back. I know one, like, he's like a 60-year-old guy that like grew up <laughs> working with Windows and he develops this esoteric programming language invented by IBM for a very subset of people and I think he still uses Windows. And other than him, I don't know a single developer that develops on Windows anymore. They're all either Mac or, or Linux. And I think that is a really good sign for the future of Linux. And I think that's a really good sign for the future of open source in general. And I think that's a really good sign for the future development of open source software and open source languages yeah, in general. Yeah. If we start to look and say, listen, if, if somebody on the community wants to take some time to do Windows, you can go, go ahead, ahead and knock, your, knock yourself that's out. That's what they but, used to uh, say about Linux. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So the fact the tables have, have turned quite a bit uh, are, are, are incredibly encouraging mm -hmm. to me. Um, but honestly, it's not really that surprising because if you think about it, 
a lot, of, and I don't know if this is necessarily true for Swift particularly, but in general, most of the applications people are using nowadays are on the web, and those are def the, the the back end of the web is definitely not being powered by a Windows box. And so if you look at, you know, popular yeah, development right. jobs are going to be on the web. No, it's extremely practical. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't negate the fact that we are at the end of 2015. We are now in a new reality where if you want to try to contribute a new programming language and you have any hope of making it relevant in the market, two things are necessary. Number one, you have to open source it. And number two, you have to make it available for Linux. Not Windows. Not commercial, not licensed. Look at the Unreal Engine. Look at Swift. Mm -hmm. This is, this is fundamentally. If if I could go back in time to Chris and Noah of three or four years ago and say, when Apple has a new programming language yeah, yeah, that they yeah, want yeah. to take off, they have to open source <laughs> and make it available for Ubuntu. We would s our pants. Yeah, I would have called you crazy. I would be. I would laugh at you. I would be laughing at you if you would have told me that. Four this years is a ago. huge milestone for Linux. Jeez, man, I think even if you would have told me that a year ago, I don't know if I would have believed you. Yeah. Even last year, I don't know, in 2014, I don't know what if I would have believed you if you would have said that that Apple is going to invent an open source programming yeah. language and they won't make it for Microsoft, yeah, for but they me, will make it for Linux. This is fundamentally a massive validation for all of us who have championed for Linux on the server for the last decade, for all of us who fought against the Microsoft incumbent, for all of us who said Linux is a great server platform, and then we, wa we are now watching... Those dividends pay off. That investment that we made in our training, that investment we made in our reputation, that investment we made in our infrastructure, we in 2015 are so clearly at the point where that is paying off that even one of the most arrogant companies in the technology industry, the only hope they have to be relevant is by open sourcing and making it available on Linux. That I think is worth noting at the end of 2015. I think that's a big deal, and I'm I and and you know what? Congratulations to Apple for actually making their end of 2015 yeah, deadline. Very much so. Yeah, it's the first Apple news I've been excited about ever <laughs> in my life. <laughs> there you go. Uh, by the way, we because we're running a little tight on time. I'll just mention the Matrix, the world's first smart home ecosystem. It has a really cool, really nice looking video, multicolored device that. It has cool Kickstarter music. Introducing the Matrix. Powerful and beautifully designed. 15 sensors in one little device. And it runs Linux. If you guys are curious, we'll have a link in the show notes, but uh, we're running a little tight on time, so you guys have to go check that out. It's called the Matrix, which I've never heard that before, but the idea is pretty cool and it does look pretty slick. But Noah, that's all the news for this week. Linux Mint 17.3 just hit the web today as we were recording this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, but we might have gotten the ISO a little early, and we're going to give you a review of something that has completely changed my mind. Not only about the LTS Linux in general, but how to take a desktop paradigm, iterate, 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 and really make it something that is unique and special. I, right now, am running Linux Mint 17.3 on my Bonobo, which traditionally runs Arch Linux, and I've switched it over. I'm going to tell you why I made the big jump, but first I want to tell you about our segment sponsor, and that is Linux Academy. Go over to linuxacademy.com unplugged, get our very sweet discount. I'm taking the unplugged discount and I'm making it available to the Linux Action Show audience because Linux Academy is perfect for you guys. 
I want to spread the word because they're about to roll out some major, major stuff. And now is the best time to become a subscriber. So go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. These guys are fanatical about Linux and open source. And so they created a learning platform built all around Linux and all of the associated open source stuff. Their training platform isn't just a feature. They are serious about it. They have self-paced courses, almost 2,000 self-paced courses with instructor help available on demand. Seven plus distros you get to choose from. They automatically adjust the courseware and the virtual machines that you get to SSH into on the fly. This stuff is sweet too because you get real hands-on experience. They have on-the-fly troubleshooting when you make a mistake. This is a new feature they've just rolled out. Brand new CDNs to make all of their video content and audio content and PDFs super fast. HTML5 players so it works under your Linux box. Scenario-based labs so that way you have true, legitimate, hands-on experience. Linux Academy is great. And they have a ton of courseware on OpenStack or the Red Hat certified courses, AWS, and all of the great technologies around Linux. Mr. Noah, have you had a chance to look at Linux Academy before? I have. I've actually talked on Unplugged before about the fact that as, you know, when I first got into IT, certifications um, were a big deal. And uh, when I, then I, you know, I, I went off and started my own company and um, certifications became less of a deal for me because I didn't really care if I was certified, I would still employ myself even if I didn't have the, those certifications. But for the purposes of, of staying current and stuff like that, I like to kind of keep a couple of them up. One of the big ones was my Red Hat certification. Yeah, and man. It used to be, well, actually it still is. If you go to Red Hat and 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 want to take, they have a, they have a, I use Linux all the time and I really don't want to go through the basics of, of uh, how to open up a command line <laughs> and rename a file. If you want to mm -hmm. skip all that and go to the, what's different between the last version of RHEL and this version of RHEL, they actually have a dedicated class for that, and it's great, and they do a fantastic job, but it takes a week. It's eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, and you start doing the math on that, especially for a self-employed person. You're like, this is what I charge an hour, and this is how many days I'll be gone, and not only am I not taking money in, but I'm paying for a hotel, and I'm paying for food while I'm out, and I'm paying for the cost of the course, which, by the way, isn't exactly cheap, and you start to look at that, and it adds up to a huge amount of money. When you first brought uh, Linux Academy on board uh, for the Unplug show, I signed up uh, uh, to start just when we were making the transition from six to RHEL 6 to RHEL 7, and I got all of the information I needed in nightly little snippets um, rather than taking a whole week-long course, and I've been able to complete... I, I, I have, I have, I've lived through the, the, the migration from 5 to 6, and I did, I did that way the Red Hat, go to the course, pay a lot of money, spend a week do that way and i've done six to seven now at linux academy and it has been like night and day I, yeah. I i i it is i get all the benefits of learning the new stuff except i can do it on my timeline right and for a ridiculously low price and they have an availability planner so if your schedule is tight you can say when you you know i got a couple hours available this week at this time they make that work and one of the things that was sort of a deal changer for me uh and as somebody who had a little guilt about Gosh, you know, I feel a little bad for not learning this particular technology. This is in my wheelhouse. I should have the motivation. But what I realized was it's not that I'm a dummy or un unmotivated. It, it, was, it was like nebulous. It was this big, huge thing that I needed to wrap my head around. And when I logged into Linux Academy dashboard one time to look for something else, I went to their courses screen and I saw this topic. And at the time it was Python. And I saw their screen and it said, Python. Basics, six hours. And I thought to myself, 
you mean I could learn Python in six hours? Like, that changed the game for me because it, it made this huge nebulous thing that was like, what's my project going to be? What's this? What's the itch I want to scratch? Why do I, what's my motivation? And I just wanted to know more about Python. They made a six-hour course. Boom, right there. Downloadable comprehensive study guides. My Linux rig on demand. And then also, like, they have these nuggets now. You can check them out at linuxacademy.com slash nuggets. And some of them are just, like, I'm going to be honest, the stuff I probably should have known for a long time. Or, or stuff I could know a lot better, like rsync or IP tables, or SSH tunneling might be another one for you out there. Uh, command history shortcuts. They have a lot of, or just setting up aliases using Bash. A lot of really good basics to getting just your fundamentals with your Linux rig. They have those courses. They're deep dives. They go from like two minutes to 60 minutes, so you can, you know, maybe not play a game one time or not go read Slashdot. I don't know what you read. Dig. You go to digg.com with Kevin Rose. I don't know what you do with your spare time. Maybe just go to Linux Academy instead. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. We're extending the really cool unplugged discount that we get. Linux Academy doesn't make it available to anybody else. And I'm going to extend it to Linux Action Show audience. So go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Visit there to support this show. Let them know that, hey, thanks for coming on board. But also, let's be honest. This is a great sponsor for Linux Action Show because... If I could do it over again in 2015, this might be the direction I go. We tried it with How To Linux and a few other things, and they have, you took Linux enthusiasts, educators, and developers, and they came together and they created the Linux Academy platform. And it's pretty brilliant. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to get in on that. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring this segment of the Linux Action Show. So, Noah, Linux Mint 17.3 has had a bit of a bumpy release. It is officially out now, but you might not know it, depending on when, you depending on when you're listening to this episode of the Linux Action Show. Uh, one of the first places that announced it was actually our subreddit and a few other places because the Mint website and forums has been down for a while due to some drive failures. So they've been delaying the release of Linux Mint 17.3 until the website was up. The ISOs have been final and good to go. So Noah and I were able to get our hands on these new ISOs, load it on our rigs, and get you a review pretty much the day that they're releasing this. So we are reviewing Linux Mint 17.3 Cinnamon Edition. This is a long-term support release, which will be supported until 2019. It comes with updated software and brings refinements and many new features to the Ubuntu 14.04 base. And uh, what I'm showing you on screen right now, uh, if you're watching the video version, is uh, waiting for it to load. Their website is under heavy demand right now. But what I'm showing you is the standard version of the Linux Mint 17.3 desktop, which has pretty much looked the same, but like the last ajillion release. And can I tell you why I think that's a good thing? Yeah, have at it, man. So one of the big use cases I had for Linux Mint, and really I still have for Linux Mint, is new people that are coming to Linux. And this has become less of a, of a, of a thing for me uh, thanks to the release of Windows 8 uh, and Windows 10. But right after we left uh, Windows 7, people were just so ingrained to go to the lower left-hand corner, click on a menu type of a deal, go to the submenu of the category of application they were looking for, and then launch their application. And that is for years and years and years, literally 20 years, how people found and launched applications. 
if they wanted to find a file, they would go to the My Computer icon on the desktop and open up their hard drive, which would all be all the drives that were attached to the system would be would be in that window. And for years and years and years, that's how people access their data. And when Microsoft cocked it up in Windows 8, it confused the heck of out of a lot of people. And to me, I was turning lemons into lemonade and I said, I have a perfect situation. It's kind of like an upgrade from Windows anyway. And it will allow you to use the computer in the way that you're most familiar with. And the, the first people I ever installed it for were my in-laws, Sarah's parents, <clears throat> went over to their house and they had a, a Windows XP computer at the time. And I said, we'll upgrade it. The, this it, 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 It's kind of the same thing. If Windows 8 is a little confusing to you, we'll go to, to this system. Basically the same thing. And they do two things with their computer. They launch Thunderbird to check their email account and they launch Firefox to browse the Internet. And the fact that they can do that and plug in their their little uh, SD card from the digital camera and open all the pictures up the way they expected to inside of Windows made it a made it just a, a just a breeze to switch from Windows over to a Linux operating system and we used to actually build kiosks with uh with uh with Linux Mint and we've since switched those to to Ubuntu now for a couple of different reasons but um when I think when we evaluate uh, distributions, there, there's two parts of it. You evaluate the, the desktop and we evaluate the base. And so the base, obviously, with Linux Mint is Ubuntu. And so that kind of speaks for itself. But the real shining gem in Linux Mint is, of course, Cinnamon. And it obviously it made an impression on you because you said you actually switched your distro, your hmm. main distro on your laptop from Arch. Yeah. So I always walk this line for our reviews on the show. I should I should I show the stock version of a distribution as it is when you put the bits from your thumb drive onto your drive? And should I review it from that standpoint? And I always start there. I always start there, obviously, because that's the default. And then sometimes, every now and then when I'm reviewing a distro, it starts to click with me, oh, this might actually work for me. And if I was going to make this work for me, what would I need to change? And then I start going down that path, and that's what I have today. I have a Linux Mint 17.3 desktop set up with a different GTK theme in dark mode. I have the GTK paper theme installed right now, dark version. I have a different set of icons installed. I've changed the default background. And I find this to be a pretty nice-looking desktop. It's limited to GTK uh, 3.10. So things like Arc and other really nice themes are not available because it's based on Ubuntu 14.04. But when you accept that fact, because the Mint team hasn't been working on catching up on the changes that the underlying OS has been making, they have something here that is so polished, I am pretty confident in 10 years of this show, I have never ever reviewed a more polished Linux desktop. Really? Yeah. 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 I mean, this really? is, this desktop strikes the balance between KDE and GNOME in a way that I've never seen before. But on top of that, it's everything else. Let's start with something that is a major pain point for me always, software sources and software source management. This is completely polished in Linux Mint. So I go to the menu. I go to the system settings, which is right there. And this is running off of my Bonobo, right? I go to software sources. As I launch the software sources uh, applet or control panel, whatever you call it, I get something that's completely different than what you see on Ubuntu. 
Now immediately I have an official repository screen. Now no, if I click on the main repository here, it launches a speed test against all of the mirrors. And Linux Mint 17.3 not only does a speed check against all of the mirrors, but it also has the ability to see if those mirrors have out-of-date packages. So I can find out if I have a bogus mirror or not. This is one of the first things I do after I install Arch is I install a package called Reflector. And then I go uh -huh. to the Arch wiki and I copy a line towards the bottom of that Arch wiki entry that goes and finds the nearest mirror that's fastest and then makes my mirrors list faster. This, what it does, is it goes out and it pings everything, finds out what's the fastest mirror, it puts it at the top of my list, and I click it. Same with the official repository. And no, this makes a huge difference. I went from a repository that was giving me 700 kilobytes a second to uh -huh. one that was giving me 4 megabytes a second. Wow. So all of my software installation goes way faster. It all uh -huh. is really smooth. Also, while we're in the software management screen, here's a, here's a screen to manage my PPAs. I can add PPAs, edit PPAs, I can update the cache, and this program will check the validity of these PPAs to see if they're still valid archives and gives me a one-click interface to remove them. Also, maintenance on the uh, apt repo, one screen right here. Update mm -hmm. the cache is one screen. Okay, that's, that's pretty nice. But that wasn't even the first thing that got my attention. The first thing that got my attention is the update manager. They've made major improvements in the update manager that makes it way safer for end users to install updates. And if it's the first time you've launched the update manager, it has a nice blue bar that comes up in the toolbar that says, hey, you might be able to find a faster mirror. Before you install these updates, would you like me to do a speed check and select the fastest mirror for you? And you click OK, and it does that. This is the kind of polish that makes using a Linux distribution very smooth. This thing is supported until 2019. So the fact that the update manager can A, find the fastest mirrors, and B, find the mirrors that have bogus packages versus current packages and switch you to a mirror that has better packages for a distribution that's going to be around until 2019 is no small thing. And going in here, I can, I, you have the traditional GNOME level of importance for the different updates. It's one, two, and three, very easy for users to understand what's safe to install. It's one click to get it. It's super nice and super elegant and really well polished, Noah. Yeah, very much so. And I noticed, uh, I noticed one of the things that you mentioned the other night when we were chatting about it was the ability to prevent the window from stealing focus. Yeah, that's just like a setting in Cinnamon, you know, prevent focus stealing. Uh, another setting, one checkbox, high DPI support, and all of a sudden, you have really, really good high DPI support. Now, they can't do anything for applications that uh, they, they don't support high DPI at all, like right. Pad, but the Cinnamon desktop high DPI supports among some of the best. Really good. And you know, something else that was really nice, I installed Spotify on the pre-show here, so I could have a little uh, pre-show music. Mm -hmm. And and the uh, volume applet changes from a volume icon to a sound note. Integrated in there now, I have cover art. Here's Ronald Jenkins' cover art. Uh -huh. I have a playback control. I have volume control in the playback right here. Now, what happens if you launch more than one media application? Do you get separate volume controls? Whichever one, no, whichever one has the active okay. audio. But now, okay. but check this out, dude. If I right-click on the audio control, yep. right in this menu, I can choose output device, and I can send it to my headphones, I can send it to built-in speakers, I can send it to the analog out port, I can send it to HDMI. All I don't have to launch a separate applet. I just right-click mm -hmm. right there. And I don't know if you're watching the feedback here, 
But if you see how elegantly that expands the menu like that, it's not right. like a separate submenu. I don't have like now my mouse tracking where if I go off the wrong thing, that submenu closes. It's part of, and also I have individual application audio control in the submenu. And with one toggle switch, I can mute output and input all right there. Just and how many boom. times have, have you and I had a problem, Chris, where we go on site to do something and we have an application and an audio interface and this, that, and the other, and it's like, which one of these is 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 the system defaulting to and and we we end up installing one application then it mucks something else up and then something else gets changed man to have all that integrated right there down at the bottom mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know the other thing too that i noticed uh, about using mint and one of the things that originally drew me to it it's very very uh uh how, how do i phrase this uh, distributions like GNOME and its window cascading feature are very, very useful for somebody who's trying to get a lot of work done, especially if you're trying to multitask. But if you have a, a an appliance like Box, like the computer that you call me from Skype on or the computer that I use, um, you know, to, to do to do the show recordings, I don't need a dock along the side. I don't need the windows to cascade. In fact, honestly, sometimes that stuff gets in the way when we had that OBS box that was sending that was doing a, a video capture of the playback out. If you accidentally bump the hot corner, it would cascade the windows and then the window capture would yeah. get all screwed up because, yeah. you know, and so in a desktop like Cinnamon works phenomenally better in an environment like that. And I think that if I had, if I had a computer or if I had a situation where I had like one application or two applications that I just lived in for eight, nine hours in a day and I just needed, I needed the desktop to get out of my way. And I, I didn't want to be bothered with, you know, if I bump the corner, that's going to go off. Or if I click here, I'm going to have to give up some of my screen real estate because there's a dock along the side. You know, you start getting into those kind of situations. I think, again, Cinnamon really, really excels there. I want to talk about something that when I mentioned it's kind of like GNOME and KDE, but better, the two things combined. There's a few things as a power user who has made a lot of tweaks to his Linux desktop in the past, but now has three kids and has a job to get, you know, actually work done. I really like some of the things they've built into this, and I think those of you out there will like some of these things too. So first of all, the theme selector is pretty neat. It's not like other desktops. So like when I click on icons here, uh, it actually busts out all the different icons in real time, a preview of what they would look like if I actually selected them. That's kind of nice because I get an idea of what it would actually be like if I wanted to you know, switch to that desktop. But on top of that, they actually have the ability to go out and pull down new themes inside the application from the internet. And it's not just themes, all kinds of things like desklets. You can go out and get them available online. So instead of having to go out to like GNOME Look or some screenlets website, I can go right here in the application. I can add a new desklet. I can install it and have it pull down and get installed into my Cinnamon desktop right there. And that's, that's true for themes. That's true for desklets. That's also true for uh, extensions. Extensions add functionality to the Cinnamon desktop. And there's different extensions that are available for Cinnamon, uh, like display switching or, a, you know, a, a desktop cube animation. Let's try this one, actually. So I'll try adding, or I'll, I'm installing the desktop cube right now. And so then I can enable it uh, once, I've, uh, once I've turned that on. Let's see. Uh, okay. Oh, it says it's not compatible. Yeah, not all of them are compatible, so I won't do it. But that's actually nice that it gives me that warning, too. What I like about this is, right, and this isn't new to Cinnamon uh, 2.8. This has been around for a little while. But, like, with the desklets or the applets, or the extensions, or the themes. I don't have to open up my web browser. I don't have to go to some theming website. They're available right in the, right in the system settings with user rankings, how many people have installed them, which ones are the newest. It's a really cool feature of the Cinnamon desktop that KDE tries to get right, 
But most of the time under KDE, when I try to install a theme through their uh, built-in theme selector menu, it, I get like, oh, this is actually a link to a, to a website. Would you like to open the website and conquer? It doesn't actually pull down the theme where these actually work. It's pretty nice. No, Anna, did you get a chance to mess around? Because I've completely rethemed my entire Cinnamon desktop. What do you think of the mm -hmm. default one? Uh, I like <laughs> You're going to kill me. You're, you're going to kill me. No, it's uh, okay. It's all right. I, I like it. I, you know, I don't get, uh, I, I don't get uh, overly concerned with, with the appearance of the desktop, and I'm, I'm generally pretty satisfied however it comes. I didn't notice anything that stood out. I, I take that back. One thing that I didn't like, the, the default menu, like the, you know, the, I'll, I'll call it the start menu, but the, the start menu at the bottom is dark, but then once I launch Firefox by default, it's very light. And the contrast there stood out to me, but other than that, no, I didn't, I didn't really care. Okay. X-Metal in the chat room points out, though, he says that um, <clears throat> maybe somebody should give Cinnamon on, uh, or he really likes Cinnamon on Fedora. And I have to say, all of my, while I really like Linux Mint and I really like Cinnamon, all of my positive uh, remarks are limited to Linux Mint only. I have tried installing, granted not with this version, but in, in pre previous versions, I have tried installing Cinnamon on Ubuntu, and I've tried installing Cinnamon on Fedora, and it has been a disaster. And Arch. I've tried it on Arch, too. There are weird little things that don't work right. So, for example, in the, in the, in the, in the menu, in the launcher menu, um, certain icons, like the, the power off icon and the settings cog, they don't actually show the icon. They just have a little blank uh, square in front of them, and... Consequently, I couldn't figure out how to turn the computer off the yeah, first time. I, 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 I actually, Weird stuff like that. I would say there is something to that. And I want to get... It, why don't you save that thought? Because I want to okay. get to the fact that this thing is using Ubuntu 14.04. And I want to get to why that worked out way better than I ever thought it would. And I put a, I put a lot of feet in my mouth and Linux Unplugged about that. So I want to I spend some dedicated time to how wrong I was about that. Before we go to that, though, I got to give a shout out... To a couple of things that are just, by this point, it's got to be kind of embarrassing for Canonical that they're not doing this shit in Ubuntu because it's so obvious. And Clem has been able to pull this off with some extreme elegance. And when people ask, you know, you and I will often get in the conversation and I'll say something like, uh, Unity feels like it's out of date. When I install Unity, it's nice. But to be honest with you, it feels like they haven't really been paying much attention to it for years now. It feels neglected. And I can never quite, I can, I, can, I can always mention the top toolbar and how that looks like it's super ancient and the system settings menu, how jank that looks or the stupid shadow effect that they put on there, how janky that looks or how the fact that, I, I mean, I can, always, I can always call out a certain amount of things under Ubuntu that make it feel old on the Unity desktop, but I can't ever give you concrete examples of where it feels like Canonical is neglecting the desktop until I used Linux Mint 17.3. And then I realized how obvious neglectful Canonical is, how obvious that is. Uh, I'll give you an example. Driver Manager. When you launch the Driver Manager, if it's the first time or if you haven't updated your software repositories recently, when you first update the Driver Manager, it goes out and makes sure that it gets the absolute latest drivers available for your system. It, the way it lists the drivers is so much simpler and straightforward than the way Ubuntu does it. And it's not radically different. It's just a little bit different because they just tried a little bit and they made a huge difference. It was so easy for me to switch to the NVIDIA 352 driver right here with one click between the Novu driver. It was so, uh, I, that's one example. Software source management, another example. I enter my password once, I go in here. This is phenomenally better than anything that the Ubuntu desktop, especially Ubuntu 14.04 offers out of the box. Official repository management, 
with built-in speed testing and legitimacy testing for the mirrors, official PPA management where it can go out there and check the validity of PPAs and see if they're compatible with your version of Linux Mint. Why doesn't Ubuntu do that by now? How many years have they had PPAs? Additional repository management if you want to manage some of the extra things you want to pull into your Linux Mint rig. And one spot to manage all of the keys for all of the different repositories that are pulling in software on your rig. Embarrassing that Ubuntu doesn't have this by now. And last but not least, maintenance to fix all of the standard problems that apt sometimes runs into that if you're on Ubuntu and don't know what to do, you're just SOL. And here they've been able to break it out into four buttons. It's this kind of stuff when it comes to actually using your system or like the user management or the login window management or the sound settings or the file manager that is actually a really, really good file manager. This is Nemo. It is a forked version of the older version of Nautilus and they've maintained it. The, the virtual desktop management is a step above what Unity can do. You get all of these nice new improvements to a traditional desktop paradigm. You can still go get your favorite PPAs for things like Haroopad, Chrome, and Steam, and you use a very modern desktop. I've installed Steam, I've been playing games, everything's worked perfectly. You and I, uh, we can agree to disagree on, on, on Ubuntu not looking modern, but I... Uh... I am 100% with you on the on the repository stuff and on the key management stuff. Um, one thing though that you you did bring up that I kind of got bit on. Uh, I had I I was I was I was I, I oftentimes when I test something, especially when it's something new and drastically different from something else, I'll have my wife sit down at it and and take a look at it because a lot of times she picks up on things that I just overlook because I I've used Linux so often that it, it doesn't really register with me, and we kind of got tripped mm -hmm. up because in the in, when you log in, there isn't a graphical way to choose your username. You have to type in what you set up the user as uh, into the box and then type in your password. Whereas like Ubuntu or Gnome or any of those, you actually get a list to click on. Um, that's probably not going to be a big deal for most people, but it uh, it, sh it sure throws okay, for a loop there for a couple minutes. Okay, so you're right. That is a little tricky. Here's an example, though, again, where in Ubuntu, uh, screw you, nothing you can do about it on Linux Mint they actually have a system preferences called login window preference where you can go in and change how right. that's displayed, how that looks. And dude, look at this. You even get to choose which pretty theme. Maybe yep. I want a Numix login window, right? Yep. I can change all of that here. I can change my auto login options. So they are exposing some of the traditional stuff that you had way back in the early GNOME days, but they've brought it now to your modern desktop that under right. Unity or GNOME 3 is not even available to you anymore. Yeah, and a, a quick Google search, um, you know, it's a it's a correctable issue. It was just uh, yeah, it's yeah. one of those things that just kind of tripped me up. But um, definitely, I think they have some major improvements over what uh, over what Canonical has. You know, the chat room points out though too, and I think this is important to mention. Linux Mint is essentially they can fo they can take the base for granted and essentially build the desktop and environment on top of it, whereas Canonical is responsible for doing everything. And there's a limit to how far their resources are going to go, right? Hmm. Yeah, that would have been a good excuse three releases ago. Uh, uh, what do you mean? Well, I just, I mean, <laughs> they've, bar they've barely done anything with the base for the last few releases, too. I mean, I don't really want to okay, make this a enough. Mint versus yeah. Ubuntu uh, review, yeah. but yeah. the reality is there is like, so here's another example. Um, uh, the power management applet. When you click on that, it now individually breaks out each device, gives you their name, gives you their individual power charge. So if you have a wireless mouse... You have a laptop battery or you have a UPS hooked up to your rig. 
the cinnamon applet now breaks all of that out. It gives you brightness control for your individual screens. If you have multiple screens, it gives you multiple brightness controls. Why isn't that in Unity, Noah? Yeah, no, that's that. I <laughs> I don't have a good answer for you. Um, I, I don't have a good answer for you. It should be. You're right. They there there are definitely some improvements that that could be made to Unity, and and I don't have a good answer as to why they're not there. They've also in, uh, improved the system tray, so now they have indicator support, which is uh, pretty badass. I like that quite a bit. The windowless preview is uh, is nice and uh, GPU accelerated. The display settings manager has been improved as well. And uh, high DPI support, like I mentioned earlier, I can't really demo it on the video stream, but it is phenomenally improved in this version of Cinnamon. Even in the login screen, they have high DPI support now. It is, from beginning to end, what... It is uh, years ago in the Linux Action Show, I talked about the perfect Linux distro, and I said the perfect Linux distro would be a stable base and a modern user space. And mm -hmm, the modern mm -hmm. user space can be achieved with PPAs because, you know, for a production machine here, I need, and I was, there's a couple of workloads where I think this works really well, a machine in production and a, and a machine that has probably limited connectivity. So in my case, a MiFi, or maybe you have excessive bandwidth caps. I think these kinds of releases are perfect for you. If you're somebody who has unlimited bandwidth and wants to install Linux distributions all the time and always wants the latest packages, I don't think this is for you. But if you're maybe on a MiFi connection or have a machine that's hooked up to production and you want your applications like Harupad, Chrome, Quasal, Stellarium, you know, I mean, you could just go off on a list of user space applications that you want updated there's a 95% chance there's a PPA available that will work under Mint 17.3 because it's Ubuntu 14.04, and everything supports Ubuntu 14.04, even frickin' Apple. There is a real big use case for that, like on my XPS laptop in the Rover. A great example of where I think Linux Mint 17.3 is a perfect distro, where I have a really good mix of a nice stable base where Steam games, Wine games, and applications I download off of repositories almost always work. And it works great. And then there's a use case where I'm connected to high bandwidth. I want to try out new packages all the time. And that's where Arch kind of comes in. And so for the Bonobo here in the studio, I mean, at least for a little while, I'm going to keep it on Mint 17.3 because this is a very nice, stable, updated, continuous until 2019 supported release. And the thing I like a lot about it is I can be kind of cautious about the updates that I, I install because they have essentially gone through and labeled them as warnings. And something else that I find to be kind of nice and comforting is, so right now, one thing I would normally get all uppity about is it, it ships with like a crazy old kernel. Like, let's see here. Uh, yeah, yeah, 319. That's like, you know, ancient. Indiana Jones is digging that thing out of like some sort of cave somewhere. And, and they talk about how they're going to roll out kernel 4.2 support next year. And you can, and they give you a way to install kernel 4.2 right now if you want to. But they're like, you know what? Just wait a little bit. We're going to work it out. We're going to make sure things are a little smoother, and then we'll just send you an update. And I'm like, okay. You know what? I can do that. Keep things nice and stable. I'll have a nice, solid, reliable production machine. And then when you're ready to ship kernel 4.2, I'll get that update. Jeez, Chris, it sounds like you've come over to my side of the boat, at least for this week. I think so. When it comes to this particular desktop setup, with when you go when you're going traditional desktop, you know the more traditional mm -hmm. desktop paradigm, not yep, the yep. not the newer GNOME three paradigm or Unity, yep. and you're going for something you need nice consistent reliability. I mean, this thing's supported until 2019, and I I I I think it is truly one of the most polished experiences. 
And I think the reason for that is like you were saying earlier, they have the luxury of not having to worry about the base OS because it's 1404 yeah. and there's not a lot of surprises there. And and the, and the thing that I challenged in Linux Unplugged was, is that really that compelling for a desktop? Can they actually make a compelling desktop? And I think here we are now at the end of 2015. I think the answer is actually yes. They did so, manage to pull it off. So the one negative thing I have to say, and it's not really negative. It just, we know we've been concentrating on the positive aspects and where we would, you know, see a use case for something like this. I couldn't use this for my daily driver um, for a number of reasons. One is, uh, and I know that this can be fixed with, you know, um, various third part, uh, you know, various third party applications, but I have become uh, very accustomed to, uh, you know, being able to cascade my windows, choose the workspace, especially the, the known way of doing things where I have a separate workspace for every separate window. And that takes a little bit to get your head wrapped yeah, around. Yeah. But man, once, once you, get you do, yep. multitasking is just, it's a whole nother level. Yeah. And so I can't use this as, as a daily, a daily computer. However, you were talking about using it on as on your XPS 13. I could definitely see myself using it on my laptop yeah. because on my laptop, I only have one display, which means that I'm re I really don't go into my laptop with the, with the, uh, with the, the uh, concept of multitasking and I'm limited to the amount of Ram I have in my laptop anyway. So I, that I could see working very well, but I could definitely see, especially if you and I kind of get on the same page and we both kind of develop this shared mutual passion, uh, for, a particular distro, I could definitely see this becoming the distro we use when we go on site to do things, when I secretly really reload your machines behind your back and you have to fix them. All, hey all, all of those things. Uh, I, I see I see uh, Linux Mint uh, a very bright future for it, and I'm happy to where they have gotten because um, on the, in the very early days, Linux Mint, uh, got I got a lot, of, uh, a lot of mileage out of switching people to Linux on Linux Mint. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's kind of cool to see that as they mm -hmm. continue to have successful releases, yeah. they continue to make really useful and meaningful changes that they're going to be around for a while and they'll be used for a while. And I, I have to get this one last stab in. As far as the whole Ubuntu, I was thinking about it as you were talking, as far as the whole Canonical uh, has to concentrate on both. And, you know, they didn't have to. They could have used GNOME like everyone else did. And then somebody else would have been developing the desktop and they could have worked on the base hey. and they chose not to do that. And so the amount of sympathy I have for them is, well, limited. Hmm. I'll leave it at that. You know what? That's uh, that's an interesting observation. And we need to teach Canonical a lesson. So I, I think it's a pretty great desktop. I encourage you to check it out. Congratulations to Clem and the team for really having some good foresight, some good vision and delivering on an amazing desktop. Sorry you guys had such a bumpy release with the website outage, but we had a chance to check it out. I really, really liked it, and I'm going to keep it running on the Bonobo for a while now. Uh, just another example of something I really like. I'm just talking polish, people. When you get a notification, the notification pops up on the screen, and then it has a button. And unlike Ubuntu's uh, notifications you can't do anything with. Get you rid can't, of? Yeah, you can't but they do, stay there, and yeah. the more you put your mouse over them, the longer they stay there? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, on Cinnamon, a little button is in the notification that says, Never show me this again. <laughs> do you know how much I like that button? Yeah, I bet you do. I love you that button. You know how button. much I would appreciate yeah. just a freaking X yeah. that I could close yeah. the message, yeah. even if it popped I, up again? I, I'm very, very much appreciative of that button. So anyways, it is a very, very much two thumbs up from me. It's a solid release. And if you want something you can throw Steam on and just pretty much expect every damn Steam game to work, but you don't have to feel like you're running a really old desktop from Ubuntu 14.04, this is a great release. If you want something that supports <laughs> traditional system tray icons, this is a great release. You want something that has some 
nice GPU effects, this is a great release. You want something that's a very traditional desktop paradigm? A great release. You want something that has a good file manager? This is a good release. You want something that has a search option that feels like it's fast enough to be a launcher? This is a good release. You hit the super button, you start typing, you hit enter, it launches the thing. This is a nice, well done, polished desktop. And I don't know about you, Noah, but I'm giving it two thumbs up. Uh, two thumbs up, definitely. And I, I'm uh, uh, unfortunately the machine that I have it installed on is a spare laptop. So I mean, I could say it's going to stay installed, but really, any distro that I was testing on here would have stayed installed. And I don't know of any particular computer right now I'm going to be replacing this with. Um, but like I said, uh, there could be a time in the near future where this just becomes the de facto Jupiter yeah. Broadcasting distro. I find that what I find to be interesting about it is it's so clearly trying to be just a desktop distribution. It's not trying to be a server distro. It's not trying to uh, be like a workstation cloud yep. and server edition. Yep. It's yep. not trying yep. to sell licenses to you know for support. It's just trying to be a really good desktop. What you're saying is it doesn't suffer from spork syndrome. It's not a spoon and a fork. Well, is it a very good fork? Not really. Is it a very good spoon? Well, not really, but it's a fork and a spoon all in one. Right. And this doesn't suffer from that. They they take one thing and they focus on it super, super intensely with gazelle intensity and say, we're going to do this, you know, really, really, really well. Yeah. And then they do it really, really, really yeah. well. There you go. The Linux Action Show officially says that Linux Mint 17.3 is not a spork. It's a knife. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. Before we go, we've got a lot of things to touch on, including some great feedback. And I want to thank our segment sponsor, System76, creators of machines designed, born to run Linux. I got two Bonobos right here in front of me, and uh, they have some great desks. Bonobos are laptops, but they also create some great machines right here in the U.S. of A. Built, and some of them even laser engraved right there in Colorado. But the laptop I got my hands on, and this is the one I recommend you try, is the Oryx Pro. Now, this is a sweet machine. System76 has customized this to run Linux great. They have it built right here in the US of A. They assemble it, put it all together. They make a special firmware just for this thing, make a few modifications that you would never even dream of, and they obsess over the quality of this thing, and they ship it out. And they have $50 off right now. If you go to system76.com, just tell them somewhere in the comments or something like that, the Linux Action Show sent you. They have some great rigs built to run Ubuntu. And also... As this episode is proof, they seem, they seem to run Linux Mint 17.3 just damn fine. About every damn distro I throw on it, they run really great. System76.com. Tell them Linux Action Show sent you. And a big thanks to System76 for sponsoring Linux Action Show. No, I'm still, I'm still like kind of giddy from our trip. That was a lot of yeah. fun. That was yeah, good times. It's, it's, it's really cool to, to sit down with a bunch of people that eat, live, and breathe Linux. Yeah, they're fanatical about it. It is really They cool. are. Yeah, and, and you know what, like... They're so uh, fanatical about it that we got into a fight about it. Yeah, you know, more on that soon. <laughs> All right, so Jeff B. writes in. He says, I finally uninstalled VMware. Hey, guys, love listening to last. After listening for over a year now, I started asking myself why I was using VMware workstations as my means of virtualizing my Windows box on my Linux server. I use what? it for some specialized tools that really only work well on a Windows desktop. These tools are open source and are slowing, slowly gaining traction on Linux, but not quite to the point where I can get the same level of usability out of them. That aside, I took a look at KVM. For the longest time, I thought KVM was trailing in performance, usability, and performance over a frontrunner, like VMware especially. I've always had a free license because I worked for a sister company of VMware. Oh, nice. So it was my natural go-to for virtualization. 
After reading a few posts on Stack Exchange, RedHat.com, and Linux-KVM.org, I soon realized that I could in fact virtualize Windows on my Linux server for free. After spending a bit of time, I set up networking for the VM and I was good to go. Thanks for the motivation, KVM rocks. No, have you ever tried it out? Have you ever used KVM? Yes, actually, we did a whole episode on uh, on KVM. No, and... false. That is not true. No way. I do not recall that at all. That can't be possible. No, never, never. <laughs> um, but if, if you were if you were to if you were to take a look at a particular episode, I, uh, we talk about uh, LibVirt in specific and and uh, and utilizing KVM to virtualize. Hearsay. Uh, we didn't actually virtualize Windows because uh, you know. Uh, but we virtualize Linux on top of Linux, but you could virtualize Windows on top of Linux. And in fact, with KVM, you can do KVM PCI pass through and you can, if you really want to beat your head oh, against a desk. And, yeah, don't yeah. tease me. If you're going to, if you're even going to mention that on air, then I want you to do a how to and tell us how to do it. So don't even, okay, don't I, even I say will, it. I will, but you're, yeah, you're paying right, for you the will. bricks and no, I will, but you're going to pay for the bricks to beat my head against the wall. And you're also paying for my emergency room visit to patch my head back up after yeah, I beat my it, head against the bricks. You know what? Don't do it, it, dude, because it's about to get a lot easier. <laughs> It is. Okay. It's about to get a lot easier. Uh, hey, so, Chris, did, yeah. did you know over on our Reddit, there is a thread about setting up a DNS server? What? This is actually a topic that came up because Fedora announced that in Fedora 24, they're going to be shipping the U-Bound or Unbound uh, DNS server by default as a local DNS server. And so I asked the Linux Unplugged audience, what do you think of this? And we got, a, we got an interesting uh, couple of uh, posts uh, from a few folks that are running their own local DNS. And I was asking you, Noah, have you... At your home or at your office, do you guys set mm -hmm. up a local DNS server? Is it like I do. Yeah. What? How do you I do? do it? Yeah, I have. I have. Uh, I have DNS both at the at yeah, at the office and at my house. Uh, both are running on CentOS, not Fedora. Um, I I tend to use Fedora for desktops, and if it's a server, I tend to use CentOS unless it's a commercial deployment, in which case a lot of times we pick up a rel license. So, what do you think about Fedora including its own sort of like highfalutin DNS server locally built in? I think it's really cool, and I'm a huge proponent of Fedora, and I really like Fedora. I still don't think I would use it for a server. And yeah, if, well, no, if, it's for the desktop. It's like, you know, well, you can move uh, between different locations and you, regardless of their right, crappy Wi-Fi, right, right. you can still have good DNS. Yeah. Um, it's all right. I, hmm. you know, I, I, here's the thing. If, I'll tell you what, if I didn't reload my laptop every two weeks, I would, I would look more seriously at something like this. Yeah, I follow you. If, yeah. You know, but the, the thing is like, this is, this is one of those things that there are certain things that to make a computer usable, then I have to redo those things. And everything that isn't absolutely on that necess on that necessity list just doesn't get done after a couple of iterations of reloading yeah. my laptop. You know, and this is going to be one of those things that unless it did something like amazing and above and beyond, it's just something I'm not going to take the time to reset up bro, all the time. Plot. Bro, bro, you're making the point. That's why they're going to just include it by default. And let, like network manager often will use DNS mask by default. They're doing this stuff by default to make local DNS caching happen for you because you can't be bothered, as you just pointed right. out. In one distro, though. In one distro today. I think it's going to take off. And some other ones are doing it with Network Manager already. Uh, I had a little tip I wanted to point people to. We'll have a link in the show notes. This might be a little esoteric, but if you've ever installed... Here's what happened to me. I'm on the GNOME 318 desktop, and I installed a package that I love to do uh, AUG and MP3 and even MP4 and WebM tagging called EasyTag. Super great GTK-based application to manage, like, ID3 tag information. I think it's one of the best ones out there. However, when I installed it, it, it took the association of being my default file manager. So, like, for example, if I downloaded something in Firefox or Chrome, and then in the download manager, I said show in a folder. You know, I wanted to show the file I just downloaded. Instead of opening Nautilus or files, it would open EasyTag. 
to that directory. And then EasyTag would go off and try to scan anything it could tag. And it's not what I wanted at all. I wanted to launch my file manager. And if I went and looked at my system settings, I had Nautilus or files set as my default file manager. So it should be fine. But regardless of what it seemed to have set in system settings, it would still launch EasyTag anytime I like would say, even like right click on Dropbox and say, show recent changes and click on a recently changed file. It would launch EasyTag, not files. And so uh, there's a lot of different ways you can crack this particular egg to make this omelet. I want to point you to a really simple app. It's probably in your repo. It's called XO-Utils. It's an XFCE application. And here's the best part. It'll work for whatever your desktop is. XFCE, GNOME, KDE. Uh, maybe you're a masochist and you're using something like elementary. No, I'm kidding. I love you guys. My son uses elementary. <laughs> uh, but it, it, XOUtils, you can launch that, and then you run XO-Preferred-Applications, and it launches, it, it'll start up a different application that you haven't seen before that'll allow you to set the defaults for a lot of things, your web browser, your mail client, your terminal, and your file manager. And that sets it at like an X level that's, that's separate from your desktop environment settings. And then that seems to be the thing that finally solves that problem. So instead of launching EasyTag, now when I use XO Preferred Applications, I have it set to launch files. So when now when Firefox or Chrome finishes downloading a file or something like, or Dropbox, it launches the right application. And this was something that kind of plagued me for a little while. So I wanted to include the show notes, a link in the show notes in case anybody else has suffered from something like that. And if you have something like that, go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com, news stories, open source projects, great tips and tutorials, feedback. We'll have a thread just for 394. All of that stuff. Nearly 10,000 Linux users over at linuxactionshow.reddit.com contributing to the show, and you can be one of them. Another way to contribute would be to join the live show over at jblive.tv. We do it on Fridays at uh, we're usually around 2 or 3 p.m. Pacific. The show, really around 2 p.m. Pacific, the, sh the stream usually kicks off. So, uh, yeah, Noah, anything you want to plug before you wrap up this week? Well, uh, as far as feedback goes, you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click on the contact link, choose Linux Action Show from the drop-down menu, and keep those brief and to the point. We read those on the air almost every week. Um, you can follow me at Kernel Linux, you at Chris LAS. And uh, nice, sir. Nice. I think that I think that sums it up. One last thing to get to before we go. Ooh, ooh, oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. What is it? No, what is it? The, the, the giveaway. We got to do the giveaway. All right. So chat room, the first person who answers this and has a Steam account. Now, don't answer unless you have a Steam account. Here's what you do. I want you to email your answer to Angela at JupiterBroadcasting.com. And you have to be one of the first 15 people to email her. That's why it's, this is going to work for the live stream. What was the Linux Action Show's first Runs Linux? Ten years ago, almost, what was the first Runs Linux? You can say in the chat room, but you could be spoiling it. Email angela.jupiterbroadcasting.com with your Skype handle and the email address you use with Skype, and we will send you a free copy of Trine 3 if you're selected. angela.jupiterbroadcasting.com with the first Runs Linux of the Linux Action Show. I want to see what people get. So that is the train. It's a good game. I was playing it earlier today. It can push the graphics card, Noah. So when you're ready to game, I'm going to hook you up with some good games. Yeah. Did, I, did I tell you I'm buying? I'm going to buy a, a, a what do you call it? Steam machine? I'm going to buy a Steam machine. For really? The living room. Really? Yeah. If I said mm -hmm. Skype, by the way, I meant Steam ID, not Skype ID. I was probably I might have said Skype because I was looking at the Skype window. Oh, we knew what you meant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. No, I uh, I'm going to buy one and put it in my living room. 
Really? Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be really cool. Mm, and and, the, and in the new place, this is gonna be like the centerpiece of the new place. Well, I don't know if it'll be the centerpiece, but it's gonna be, be the, the centerpiece. Yeah, it'll be the centerpiece. It's gonna be like above the mantle. Yeah. I have your, <laughs> I have, I have your picture, and then right next to your picture, I will have the, the steam machine. Very nice, sir. Well done. Well yeah. done. Very good. Yep. Very good. Yep. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here next week. So what happened? Like two computers died so, in a row? Oh, no, no. Uh, so let's back up a little further than that. So <clears throat> I'm getting to the end of my day. And uh, so I try to, we usually schedule service calls into our blocks because they do last at five my time. The last block gets cut short because it would ordinarily be from four to six. So we try to schedule something simple so I can be done around, you know, 430. Like a and gentleman. Then make it here by five. Like a yeah, gentleman. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so there was going to be a rip a Windows 2003 server out and replace it with a Linux server. And we had already configured the like the DHCP and all that stuff on the Linux box. So I thought, I'll roll in there, unplug one cable, plug a new cable in, like turn it on. Yeah, should be no problem. Turns out I am scooting in here at the seat of my pants and there's still two guys working on it as we speak because it didn't quite go that well. Oh. And I get to the studio and I sit down and everything seems to fire up just fine. And I notice Chris is ignoring me. And then I realize that he's ignoring me and if I look in Audacity, there's no waveform. Well, he's ignoring me because he can't hear me because all of a sudden my audio interface died. Uh, which started so happening last week, didn't it? I think so. I think so. Towards the end of it, it made me, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think at that point, I think we thought, well, I guess I thought it was Skype today, too. Well, anyway, mm -hmm. so I restart the machine and the machine doesn't even boot. <laughs> totally just dies. And I'm like, okay, well, not the end of the world. It just so happens I happen to be in a building where I conveniently have three different places I can record from. So I'll just like I'll a boss. Do, you have. Yeah, I'll just go and, and I don't want to. Let's just not. No, let's not just skip over that. You have okay. literally three very nice spots that pretty much every other podcast that, that talks about Linux would love to have as their recording studio. And you have three of them within about 200 square feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three so legitimate I, podcasting studios. Go ahead. So, so I go down to the second one and I sit down. I'm like, no problem. And I turn the computer on. That computer, it supposedly boots up to the login screen, but it just like flickers back and forth after I type in the password between like the stock Ubuntu wallpaper and my wallpaper. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, I don't understand. Like, I don't even know how to begin to troubleshoot that problem. Like, what, where do I start? So I'm like, all right, all right, okay, fine. Time to move on to workspace number three. Well, workspace number three is a bit complicated because... I had discombobulated it to take all the stuff to System76. So there's no microphone there, and there's no audio <laughs> interface. <laughs> there's none of that stuff. So I'm like, where's all that? Oh, yeah, it's in a box in my uh, suitcase in my truck. So I run downstairs, <laughs> and I get my suitcase. I bring it back out. I get all the stuff plugged in. Thank God this machine works just fine. So I I don't know. Windows 2003 server tried to kill me. Then Ubuntu 1404 tried to kill me twice, and now Dude. we're on Ubuntu Matei. If I'm honest with myself, I was complaining to Rikai today. Uh -huh. I was complaining today to Rikai. So, under Linux, Chrome has the worst text highlighting functionality of any application I have used since the 80s, when mouse first became an interface you could use with the computer, and highlighting okay. text was being implemented by each application. I have never experienced worse text highlighting... Um, I don't know what to even call it. Like, it's trying to guess what I want to highlight. Uh -huh. I mean, Noah, I'm not joking. 
Like, in the 80s, when the mouse was new and not all computers even had a mouse, each application yeah. tried to implement their own thing, and they did a better job than what Chrome does. And, 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 and here's what it does, and maybe I'll just show it to you in real time. I don't know if I can or not, because it doesn't always happen, but... Uh, so let's say, uh, like... Should, an, I, should I at the same time, should I highlight in Firefox? Let's just, No, I know it's only a Chrome problem, so this is oh, why okay. I'm saying Chrome okay. is driving me crazy. Let's say, like a schmo, I'm browsing the web using Chrome. And uh, I'm reading a really long paragraph about something insightful right here. So I'm, let's let's take this paragraph here about the system tray and cinnamon. And uh, I say, okay, so if you don't like indicators, you can turn this off in system settings, then go to general, and then click the enable support for indicators. This results in forcing all applications which use ind indicators to fall back to using status icons. Oh, that was a good bit of information. I'm going to go ahead and highlight that first bit. Let me click. Oh, that worked. Never. See, this doesn't always happen. Let me... Uh, Oh, damn it. That's nice. See, but here's the thing. The inconsistent problems are worse than replicatable <laughs> so problems. So sometimes what happens... You don't know when they're going to bite you. Yeah, and it doesn't always happen. Sometimes what happens is when you highlight from the uh, left to the right, Chrome then automatically will highlight the rest of the thing. And sometimes when you... Hi and So what you have to do is you actually have to highlight left to right. Now, <laughs> okay. Right to left. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Noah, do you, you, you understand what I'm yeah. basically telling you is that yes. yeah. one way you highlight, which is from... Okay, so here's what I do. Okay. So I read, a, I read a sentence like, Connected devices and batteries are now displayed using the data provided by their manufacturer. In the screenshot above, for instance, what was generically described as wireless mouse in Cinnamon 2.6 is now described more accurately as Logitech M3.25. And I'm like... Oh shit, that's really good to know. That is sticking in my little goldfish brain for about another two seconds. What I want to do is I want to highlight that sentence I just read, and I want to highlight it. Or I want to copy it and I want to put it in the show notes, right? Okay. In Chrome, if you highlight from the end up, it sometimes goes crazy, like really crazy, and highlights the whole page or the whole paragraph. In Firefox, you can go from the end of the sentence to the beginning of the sentence and highlight, and it highlights it correctly. In mm. Chrome, you have to highlight from the beginning of the sentence to the end of the sentence, which is the reverse of the way you read it, which is the reverse of the way my mind works. Now you're like, oh, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Except, legitimately, about 135 times a day, I'm reading notes for shows, and I want to read a sentence, and I'm like... That's a great sentence. I want it in the show notes. And then I go from the period back to the point I want in the show notes. And then yep. Chrome goes crazy and highlights the entire page. And, and this, when you think about something that happens over and over and over yep. and over, there's no way but to start to hate the people that created that system. And no mm -hmm. other application under Linux behaves this way. And now I can't, yeah. I wish I could replicate it for you right now. And it actually. But that's that's the worst part though. If it was replicatable, it would be, it would be, the, it's a, it would be a bug. It would be a bug. Then you would say, this is what's not working correctly. And you'd be able to show it or file a bug to whatever it is you do in Chrome to, to get people to fix things, call Google, I guess. Um, that would not be so bad. What's particularly aggravating about it is the fact that you can't replicate it. Therefore, you you start to forget that it's a problem until it bites you, and then it's a problem again, and then then you get really frustrated, and then. But I, I, I you you've lost me now. Why is it I should stop using Firefox again? Well, because it's still a terrible browser. Oh, oh right, yeah, right, yeah, right. right, yeah. I mean, uh, Chrome <laughs> was a terrible browser too. I don't I don't know what to, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Epiphany, check out, go check out GNOME yeah, Web. No, I, no, I'm perfectly happy with Firefox. Thank you though. Uh, it is uh, it is a thing. I mean that is legit. It is a problem. I don't I don't have it. I don't have a. Uh, I don't like Firefox and now I don't like Chrome. 
I know. <laughs> I know. It is. The- I can't. I, well, so um, Firefox works just fine for me, and I've no, never. No, it really doesn't. Had a See, you just don't know. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah, oh, that's right. I have problems. I'm just not aware of them. That's yet. like people saying, "Oh, my travel trailer is great," and then they go look at a few uh, fifth wheels, and they're like, "Oh, now I see why a fifth wheel is nicer than a travel trailer." Mm, that they're okay. You might be onto something, but I haven't. I have. I, there's nothing that I could use on Linux that I have tried that I like better than Firefox. I have tried other browsers. I just they don't they don't appeal to me. Okay. You know, I mean, I don't I don't I don't have an answer for you other than all I can say is there are times where you can go so deep into something and that's good enough for you and you're happy with it. Like Oh yeah, you know, yeah. You know, well, there's I like a lot of things. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm fully aware of that. Yeah, no, I completely admit that. I just I'm a very simple guy. I open browsers, I visit web pages, I bookmark crap, and I download stuff. Sure. Yeah, that's about it. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? I understand. I understand. Yeah.